Well, we found something that John isn't good at. I was looking at some of our, this was last week, some of our stats, our download numbers. Hmm. And one thing I noticed is that, yeah, because you can kind of watch them come in, about half of our listeners are at least one episode behind. Are they? Meaning for the downloads that happened this week, or on any given week, about half of them are for the previous week's episode. Hmm. And, and probably 20% are for the episode from two weeks before. Interesting. Well, I guess it's good that we didn't record last week. Gave everyone a chance to catch up. I know, up. exactly. They have no excuse now. Why didn't record last week? I don't know. We, we've not been that as was good. your fault. We did really, we had a good stretch. I mean, we went a long time every week, but yeah, last week was my fault. The week before, well, so we record the week before, and then the week before that was my fault because I got sick. Yeah. And last week you got sick. It was not only that I was sick. You know, I say sick. I mean, it was it was a, actually a bad cold. I, there was no way I could have recorded. I, my yeah, voice was horrible. pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, but also I was leaving the next morning to go to New Orleans for uh, a wedding. And I think so. I misspoke. I kept thinking you were going to Florida, so. I was telling everyone you are going to Florida. Yeah, that's probably, that's because my sister's from Florida. That's why you were thinking that, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah, people need to get caught up, man. Better listen. I also <laughs> noticed that, yeah, I'm threatening. Oh, Jeremy. Better listen. I, I also, speaking of that, I also noticed that we, remember when we kind of had that little quasi-drive to get our numbers up? Mm-hmm. Because I just think there's like, I don't think near as many people listen as what should, as what would. You're just being a little narcissistic. As what would enjoy. It. It's like, yeah, oh, everyone listen to me, I'm awesome. And we, and we had like this little spike, but now we're down like 40% from that. 40%. It's, you know what? It, that that it, makes me not believe these numbers actually. No, I, I think, I think just. How is that even possible? Some episodes are hits and some are, are not so yeah, but, hits. But okay. In order for people to know whether some, an episode is going to be good or not, or not, they have to download it or they have, mm. actually have to, or even stream it, which counts as a, as a download. Yeah, sometimes we get a bump. Some people find something they really like in an episode and they share it and that gives us a bump and then people are like, yeah, that was okay, but I'm not really into podcasts. So I'm not yeah. going to listen again. But Unless see, someone says that they said something really awesome and I'm going to try to listen again. Do you see what I mean? They're like, let's say we have a really good episode. Well, the episode, this episodes after that you think would trend up because people have to actually listen to an episode to know whether it's good or not. Or if we have a really bad episode, turn some people off. Mm-hmm. It, it won't be that episode they've already downloaded it we've already counted them it would be the subsequent episodes that would tail off if we if we were, did something bad yeah uh, at least this, this is why podcasts are just notoriously diff, incredibly difficult they're, they're to, there's, there's no mean, way there's no good way to measure these things there isn't it, it's, it's a tough business I say well a good thing it's not a business for us <laughs> <laughs> for some people it, it is a business I know, and it, it's, I know. A, it's a tough market yep it is I feel like my level. Well, I feel, is a I feel low. like you're a little bit down. So let's get go. to. Let's, we have two new reviews um, from the week before. So I want to get those out of the way. Um, hopefully, it'll make you feel better. Yeah. Okay. Because because you always kind of get down on yourself and the numbers. I'm not sure why. Um. All right. So so this one is from uh, Ray Deller, USA. Uh, titled "Actually Interesting." Actually, <laughs> that's. I guess I'll take that as a compliment. Actually, act, yeah. I came into this thinking it was going to suck, but <laughs> yeah, right. it was actually kind of interesting. See, that's, that's how we win. We set very low expectations. <laughs> uh, so his comments are, these guys provide a great, skeptical, realistic, no BS outlook to all things Salesforce. No Kool-Aid found here, only bourbon and beer. Yeah, 
That's my, my wife would find it interesting that he considers us to be no BS. <laughs> <laughs> he continues, don't let their humble demeanor fool you. They know their stuff. I agree with everything you say, guys. Keep it up. Well, thank you. Appreciate it. Yeah. Although you shouldn't really agree with everything we say because I don't, I'm not even sure I agree with everything I say. I, I don't agree with hardly anything you say, but yeah. I'm always trying to set you straight. Set, set you on the straight and narrow. Do we still have t-shirts? Uh, we do. We have um, some... We need to reorder some of the smaller sizes. Um, apparently we have a, a a good listenership of very fit people because <laughs> we're left with a lot of really extra larges and a handful of larges. Okay, so just a standing... I think we should have a standing offer. If you, Particularly if you live in the continental United States. Yeah, because I, I tried shipping internationally, or I attempted to, and I found out it's really expensive and takes a lot of time and... Um, money. A lot of money. <laughs> I, we don't get it, it. Costs you know it it it, it costs about a hundred t shirts worth of money to ship one t shirt <laughs> to Spain. We learned that. Yeah. Um, no. Okay. Sta- so standing offer. If you leave us a review, then if you want a shirt, let us know, and we'll try to send you one. Yeah. Is that fair? How about getting on our Slack channel, and you can d- direct message me or Jeremy. Right. <clears throat> and then also, if you what what sizes do we have? Are we in excess of right now? Uh, we have a lot of extra large. I think we have some double XLs. We have some larges left. No mediums, no smalls. And then on the women's side, we still have, I think, <clears throat> a good amount of mediums and larges and extra larges, I think. I don't remember what the spread was on the women's side. All right, so here's my second offer. And this is a time limited. I, this is actually while supplies last. I, I say we would do that. We'll do this for up to five. If you, uh, if you don't have a shirt and you want one, uh, slack us. Um, particularly if you if you're like an extra large or double XL, we have those, right? Well, if not, I have cups I can send, and I, I will, have mugs I can send. And I feel like we should it should always be like ladies' night for the podcast. So if you're a woman and you and you don't have a shirt and you want one, let us know and we'll just we'll send you we'll send it. Is that good? Sure. Well, I feel like we need to you know get on board with the um, pr- trying to get more women involved. I mean, it seems like just based on Slack channel that we have a very low percentage of female listeners. And again, you can. It, you I can, will bet it's seventy thirty, just like the industry. <laughs> I don't even think it's that because I, and I don't know. I'd love to hear other people's theories. I, um, you know, either we are rude and misogynist, you know, bastards. You are. Uh, well, that's true. Um, or women don't like podcasts as much. I doubt that. I, I don't know. I, th- I think. I think it's a I distinct think we're possibility for, for a wave of future tech to all. So that we can all listen to podcasts in our cars instead of radios. I, I, I mean, not, I would say probably, this is conservative, 90% of people who I know who listen to podcasts are men. It's hmm. interesting. And of course, the women that do listen to our podcast, who are listening to this now, they're probably saying, no, women listen to podcasts. Well, of course, because you're the ones who listen to podcasts. You're just, there's just few <laughs> of you. And all also, right. we cover a tech-related thing, and there's just, we know there's not near as many women in tech as men in tech. But, right, well, let, let me but anyway, well, I definitely I just want to support the idea of getting more women involved, and I want to I just you know, and if we are doing something, I always want to know this. If we are doing something that is turning women off, let us know. You know, publicly, privately, I don't care. You can shame me in public. That's fine. I'm a big boy. I'm a, I'm a fan of the public Jeremy shaming. Yeah, John is. You always have been. Because well, I usually get it from you. So. <laughs> but yeah, um, we just yeah we I mean we've we've had this shirt. I mean we I don't remember how many we ordered, but this is the same batch that we from our original batch that we ordered for Dreamforce. Two Dreamforces ago, so I mean, we can we should get through these. Yeah. We also need to figure out when we when we go to reorder. Like, do we want to 
I think that I, I, I personally think this the the cut of these shirts, the material, the cut and the color really worked well with our logo. I mean, I see you know I'll see women what like the, some of the women that w- I've given shirts to some of my friends and stuff around here. I mean, they'll wear them wear them to go out. Yeah, and they look good. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think we hit a home run. But I mean, our, I'm well, a- I, I think we also kind of skewed our numbers because we I think we thought we would have more need for large, extra large. And we minimized the need for the mediums, and we didn't even have any smalls, I don't think. For men? Not for men. Right. For women, we did. Although, you know, the women thing, the funny thing about those shirts is that they're the women's shirts. And, and by the way, that is a feather in our cap. We actually, we didn't buy just men cut shirts. We also ordered a bunch of women for, for cut shirts for the women. Which, I mean, which most if, of them appreciate. If this podcast doesn't, doesn't you know, support women, mm-hmm. I, I don't know what does. But, okay, so the, the, the side effect of us ordering these women's shirts, and particularly ordering smalls, is they're already small to begin with. Because well, because of the fabric, it stretches. So it's not it, just the fabric, it's the cut. They're cut, like well, yeah. a, a, a woman's medium is smaller than a men's medium. And on top of that, we ordered women's smalls. Those are, you gotta be an itty-bitty woman to fit. I mean, nothing's nothing wrong with that. That's whatever, I'm not, this is no judgment. I'm just <laughs> saying, you have to be a, a, a very petite woman to fit into the, one of those small shirts. Yeah, I mean, I've seen what I consider to be, you know, nothing wrong, you know, perfect woman who is fitting in like larges and XL, extra larges of our shirts. So I, I just think they're they're definitely women's cut. They're cut small. Yeah. So so I don't, so, so if we get through this batch, do I get to design a whole new shirt with new stuff on it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's an opportunity. I'm just saying. I'm just I'm just saying I, I, that I think what what we had worked out really well and I'm not saying and I'm, I mean I'm interested in if you're if you're interested in like changing something up but I also think if, if you were to say man I just think we should just do the same thing again I'd be I'd, find, I'd be fine with that because it just worked so well and I think it's a great shirt yeah but yeah we can change it up all right we have one more review okay <laughs> tangent um, well you went on a tangent all right so this one's from Matt uh, it's M-A-T-K 62 so I'm just going to say Matt Matt could 62. <laughs> uh, his, his title is, you get, you get, you get nothing. You lose. <laughs> oh, I just realized what he was saying. There. <laughs> wow. I read this probably a hundred times and didn't get it. Nothing gets past you get John. Nothing. You lose if you do not subscribe to the good right. day, sir. Um, and so his, his comments are, he, he or she, I don't know, um, but their comments are, this is a must listen for any developer working with Salesforce. Oh. Jeremy and John give an honest assessment of the platform tools and issues they encounter in a day in their daily lives as developers. While this is Salesforce focus, they will wander off on many tangents, which I think today will be tangent heavy (laughs) regarding tech news of all kind. Always interested in hearing them cut through the crap on industry announcements and give the real meaning of what is being said. Also enjoy lurking on the good day, sir. Slack channel. Congrats on a hundred episodes. You get nothing. You lose. (laughs) So again, thank you. Thank you for all the reviews. We really appreciate it. It's fun to read them and it is fun. And it's, uh, it's fun to, to read them, feedback. and it's not. That's that's one. That's like, and because we, we don't, you know, we don't ask people to do anything, and this is all free, and it's just really, this is a community. Um, but if there's one thing you want to do to help the community, that's a great thing to do, yeah. and it doesn't cost you anything other than a few minutes, and it is very, it's very enjoyable to read them, and it helps people. It helps more people find us. It, it raises our rankings in like iTunes. I mean, we're never going to be uh, probably on one of the you know the new and noteworthy or whatever. Yeah. I have no idea how you get into those. I don't either. Um, 
but uh, but it does. You know, you get you come up higher in search rankings and and suggestions. So when you're on when you're looking at a certain podcast, iTunes will offer you other podcasts and and clients that are good podcast clients. Like probably Overcast does this. It it knows because it I think it proxies actually all downloads. Hmm. Uh, and so it knows it has, you know, that's the great, that's actually, that's how that guy who shall not be named probably will end up making a lot of money. He's collecting so much valuable data and that he can sell that data. That's hmm. worth a lot of money. Yeah. And so that, you know, overcast knows how popular certain programs are and which ones correlate to, to others. I'm sure he's probably using uh, Salesforce Einstein to, to, you know, learn how to make suggestions and things like that. Oh, can I segue into Einstein? I mean, do we have any other front matter? So, okay. Well, that's a guy. I guess that's my thing on reviews. We've talked about the Slack channel a lot. If you're, if you know, if you if you listen to this podcast, come join. You can lurk. That's fine. We have a lot of lurkers. Nothing wrong with that. Although, you know, say hi at least. I'm typically a lurker. It's a. I would say I think our I think our community, although it it is you know it gets a little adult at times. Not not in content, but a little bit of language here or there. But other, otherwise, it's it's a very safe space. If you're a beginner, you know, you, you know, uh, you, I mean, I don't know. We've, we've, we've got MVPs, we've got Salesforce employees, we've got people who know nothing about Salesforce who just, you know, are friends of ours or whatever. I mean, there's everything across the board. So uh, if you want to lurk, fine, but there's, there's no, uh, it's, it's a safe space. No one's going to get hurt. But you should join if you haven't, if you haven't. Um, and how do you do that, John? How do you join our Slack community? I uh, gotta get, gotta gotta gotta. No, why that came out that way? It was, it's like um, oh, what was that show where the guy went bitty bitty bitty? Oh, um, was that a cartoon? No, it was a TV show, and it was like a little silver robot, and it was like it was a space show. Oh, the, oh, Jetsons? No, it wasn't Jetsons. It was it was like was it the one where the girl was a robot? Was it Battlestar Galactica? Oh, the original? No, it was or was it um. Sky guy, what was it? What was it called? Um, Bu- uh, Buck Rogers was it? Buck Rogers? Maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. Buck Anyways, Rogers. <laughs> that stuck in my head. All right. So, how do you join our Slack community, John? Uh, you go to our website, www.gooddaysirpodcast.com forward slash community, or just click on community. Yeah, it's also in the menu. You yep. Can, you can do community. Put in your email address. A little email address. And I don't think we do anything with those other than add you. We don't keep them yeah, even. No, we okay. Because oh. <clears throat> we're not here to make money off of you. We don't we don't sell you crap. We don't charge anything, and we don't whore you out to advertisers. Nope. And, and I, are, I do try to do a Google search to try to make sure it's not spam, but it, it's a it's a tough battle to fight. Yeah. Um so well, segue. Let's, okay. let's let's get into Einstein. Well, okay, okay I'm not really gonna talk about Einstein. I'm going to talk about someone's reaction to Einstein. Uh, and what intrigued me about this is one day the article was there. A few days later, the article's gone. Yep. And she so had to go to the Google cache? Had to go to the Google cache. Yep. And this was on the Oracle blog. So this was um, on the Oracle applications blog. And this was a guest on post. On Oracle's website? On Oracle's website. Oh, wow. Okay. This was a guest post by their VP, Des Cahill, who's head evangelist for Oracle's CX Cloud Suite. CS, and that's, their, well, that's what they call CRM, CX, customer experience. Right. What's this person's name? How do you spell it? Uh, D-E-S is the first name, okay. Des, and then Cahill, C-A-H-I-L-L. And it's about Einstein? Mm-hmm. 
Why would they write an article about Salesforce Einstein? Well, the title of the article, and it's it's not a very glaring, it's not a glowing review of Einstein. Um, in fact, the title of the article is Salesforce says Einstein, I say Frankenstein. Boy, that is a 404. Yeah. And there is a bunch of other article, a bunch of other websites that linked to this article. And all of them come back to the same place where it's a 404. And it, was, so I, it was posted only five days ago. I know. That got taken down. So I'm, I'm assuming it's because the tone of the, the thing was not but very John, positive on Einstein. I mean, does that qualify for... I, I think it does. I think it does, too. Oh, hang on. Uh, man, I, I, okay, I have to get my searchable sound set up. Hang on one second. The soundboard just doesn't cut it. It's just... it's. Are we waiting for a soundboard cue? Yeah, we we're kind of. Hang on, I'm just I'm trying to get set up here. <laughs> um, do you want me to tell you a little bit about this article while you're doing that? Here Are we you? go. Here we go. You ready? You're waiting for this. You can't do this with Salesforce. <laughs> you use that one all the time. How could you not find it? Or, or the app? I have four. Okay, I have four tabs on the soundboard, and this is a four eight by four, so thirty two thirty two drops or clips per soundboard. So thirty two times four is what. 128. Hmm. And the last one's not completely full. So, I mean, there's about 120. I mean, I just can't find anything. And this crappy app, which hasn't been updated in about three years, doesn't support searching. So, I've just, I've gone to where I just search my, I also keep everything in a folder mm-hmm. and I just search that. Well, the. I need a new app. Somebody write me an app or tell me where I can find one because I haven't found why one. Why don't you just load them all into <clears throat> Salesforce and then you could just search there and play them there? That's true. Or I could just, why don't I set up? my Echo here, and I can just tell it to play stuff. Oh, yeah. You know why? Because Echo suck! All these things suck. I was listening to, um, it was one of the, it was the Dan Benjamin uh, uh, productivity guy, what's his name? Uh, Merlin Mann. Mm-hmm. Their podcast, went Back to Work. And, you know, the, he's been talking, they've been going for a year, singing the praises of the Echo, and how it's just amazing, and there's all these things, and there, there probably are, you know, the thing is, you have, to, you have to learn how to use Echo, you have to know mm-hmm. what it can do, know how to talk to all that kind of right. stuff. But they finally did a live, they decided, it was just, kind of, I, I feel like this is spontaneous, because it actually utterly, it, it completely failed, but that's how I really know it was spontaneous. <laughs> but he was like, oh yeah, we'll, we'll watch this, let's try it, and, and he goes to, it, he was trying to demo, you can, you can ask the Echo, I won't say the name, you can ask her, hey, uh, play that song that has these lyrics in it, or play that song that goes, and you can say lyrics, and, and it just failed, 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 failed over and over. I'm like, that's my experience with the Echo. It sucks. And when it, when they, when it finally got one right, it said, now playing a sample from blah, blah, blah. It doesn't even have half of the songs you want to play. I found that as well. I mean, I, it would, I'd be able to ask it to play something, but it didn't have the license for it, so it would just play a snippet of it. And I'm an Amazon Prime. I mean, I, I pay for their... Don't I pay for their full library? I mean, the problem but is their library. Their library is the license. Is they don't have the license to broadcast Right, because their library is like the smallest one out of un, any of the music services. Yeah. It's by far the smallest cat. Is that a catalog? Is that what they call it? I guess. One, one of my big issues, that, and again, this is a tangent. We'll, we'll get back to this other stuff, but is that it's... A, it's a, because it's always listening, every so often, it'll think it hears something that it needs to respond to and it does something and I'm, I'm having to yell at it to stop. Actually, I, I just started saying shut up. Yeah. I'm kind of rude to it. Right. It, I don't know. At, at first, I felt bad. I don't know. Why did I feel bad telling a machine to shut up? Because you like to think you're a nice guy. I am a nice guy. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get back to this. All right. Um, so, so I, I didn't want to read it, but it's kind of hard to paraphrase without reading it the way he said it. So, um, 
his review of Einstein, because um, I guess he went, he he just finished doing the Oracle event, Open World, and then from there he went to the next major event, which was Dreamforce. And I, I guess he was doing some presentation. He said he had some slides and things prepared. At Dreamforce, yeah. an Oracle guy. Yeah, this makes no sense. I, no, actually, he's not doing. It. He said this time I wouldn't be worried about my slides or prepping for analyst briefings. <clears throat> Okay, so I guess during open world he had to do that. So this time he was going to a tech conference where he didn't have to be involved. Okay, so that's what he's saying. Um, but his review was, cute as Einstein mascot was, he couldn't make the message compelling for me. The AI message fell flat for three reasons. And um, I'll paraphrase as much of this as I can so it doesn't get boring. Um, but he said, in some cases, Einstein was simply a rebrand of an old feature. If, any feature. if any feature even remotely smacked of AI, Salesforce slapped the Einstein brand of it. Um, and... see where does he say this I, at some point he said oh yeah here it is as cmo it's hard for me to remember a time when marketing automation software wasn't capable of lead scoring but it must be new to salesforce marketing cloud because salesforce suddenly branded <laughs> it, it as einstein right what yeah. it didn't have lead scoring before and and this is something we see a lot of times with with marketing every time they come out with a new name lightning or einstein or force you know or exchange or app exchange or whatever it was you know they it, it becomes this new thing yep even though it's something that had already existed. I mean, Lightning was probably the worst of that, right? I mean, they, they named they renamed their editions Lightning, and everything's Lightning something, Lightning this, Lightning that, and the, that have nothing to do with actual like the Lightning experience or like you know Lightning components. They have nothing to do with us. They just they're just using that brand name. This is what we well, call. Yeah, we saw it with um um. Oh shoot! What was that? Um, Whoa! Lost audio. Yep. Lost the mics. Hello, hello. We back? We're back? I think we just lost our headsets. Oh, so just the headsets? Yeah. The power cord came slightly unplugged from our, what is this, a head, what do you a call monitor? it? No, um, headphone distribution? Yeah. Splitter distribution? Yeah, headphone distributor. Distributor? Hub? No, it's not a habit set. Amp, an yeah. amp. There you go. Yeah. We're um, audio experts so, yeah, here. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what is that? I have, like, I have this stack of rack, some I mean, rack mounted, some not boxes here with all these blinking lights that I really don't understand what they do. <laughs> <laughs> we just but turn we feel knobs like, and the feel lights like, turn on and it sounds good. So we're like, ah, oh, we're awesome. But we feel like all fancy. Then all of a sudden we're like, you can't hear anything. What's the, what, what's that box <laughs> called? The, the thingamajig? The. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so get, I mean, we, we've had this, we've talked about this story time and time again, so it's not, it's not really worth getting into, but I mean, you know, he's, he's kind of confirming what we've been saying as well is that, you know, every time they come out with something new, they like to rebrand everything. And we're seeing that with Einstein as well. We're seeing, you know, sales Einstein and marketing Einstein and all those kind of things. I, I don't know if they're official rebrands of the entire cloud, but, but marketing has, you know, switched from lightning to, to Einstein. I think, um, hopefully they're, even though they're going to extend the hell out of the Einstein brand, um, hopefully they'll do it for things that are actually somewhat either, you know, machine learning or at least statistical related. Whereas with Lightning, I mean, they just they just abused that. I mean, they diluted the hell out of that brand, didn't they? They did. Um, and so that kind of gets into his second point, which, and I'll, I'll read this as well. There isn't a lot of intelligence behind Einstein. Intelligence is the ability to acquire and apply knowledge, and Salesforce isn't providing any new knowledge to customers. Unlike Oracle, and so you can tell the spin here, Salesforce can only apply its AI to the data you've collected in Salesforce apps. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I mean, you have 
with Salesforce Connect, you have the ability to kind of bring in some of your O data, and that should technically be part of the the AI. Well, isn't the O data thing? That's just on demand, isn't it? It's not like it. I mean, if you connect it to a data source that on the other side over there has ten gig, it's not going to bring all that into Salesforce. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm trying to think outside the box and go. Well, I guess if it has this capability to kind of bring in some of this data virtually as a Salesforce object, and I'm using air quotes here. If 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 Einstein can be seated with any object in Salesforce, then technically it should be able but to. But those be aren't really in Salesforce. That's my no, they're point not. But, right. but Salesforce treats them as if they are. You can access them in you know just like they are in your reporting and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. And then we also have Wave, and I, I'm not entirely sure how Wave might play into this. You know, if it can connect to Wave, then Wave obviously has more more capabilities. It does. To, it does. But boy, I I think Wave is. I think it's. Mm. I don't. I don't know enough about Wave to know how it's storing things. But to me, it's Wave is basically like a kind of like a data warehouse. Uh, I don't know. Maybe do you store? Does it? Does Wave store all of your original raw data, or is it storing like summarized versions of that? I'm not sure. I don't either. But I, I, I'm not even. I'm not even a fan of the point well, he's making here because it doesn't I, I really am, matter. Because I made this point last week. I think I've. I think I used different terminology for it. I mean, it's basically like there. It doesn't Wave or uh, sorry, Einstein. I guess. is the name for it, doesn't really use external signaling. It, it only uses the data that's in your Salesforce org. And, the, you, know, we're, you know, we have this world of data, news, and, I mean, it could, who knows what all data source, it could, it could go be, it could be um, scraping and, you know, scouring the, all the data sources of the world to find, to, you know, some kind of meaningful relationship to your data in Salesforce. If it's not doing that, then, it's just not near as valuable. Well, I, it depends on, on what, what value you're trying to get out of it. I mean, if you're trying to get it to... I'm just trying to figure out like who, it, who it, I should sell to, who I should call next. Like, Well, I mean, and, and I, I think that kind of data is available in Salesforce. They can look at your leads and figure out, you know, what your lead conversions and what things you need to only, do for lead but conversions. Only based on the data that you've got in Salesforce, though. Yeah, but that is in Salesforce. Your lead data, your opportunity I'm, data, your you're basically are you're, you just re- willing willfully not listening to what I'm saying? You got the whole you got a whole world of data, st- stock markets, news, all that kind of stuff. It's not using any of that. No, and, and it and, could be. And that's just, that would, that would that's be just a salt. mess. That would be the salt on, on this. I okay. mean, you, you have your base data of the stuff you're actually interacting with, and then the salt would be all this other external uh, interface you know me. that could I influence like, that. I like my CRMs well seasoned. <laughs> <laughs> Little medium rare. Yeah. 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 Seared. Yeah. Delicious. Nice crust. Nice salty crust. Yeah. <laughs> That's some AI I can get behind. Yeah, me too. That would get me excited <laughs> about AI. <laughs> uh, but but that, that second point was kind of overshadowed by, you know, his touting of, of what Oracle and, and its adapt, adaptive intelligent apps is what they call it. <clears throat> I'm sorry, even changing what AI means. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm fine. I'm fine with. I don't. So AI he's saying is, the Oracle does do that. It uses external data sources. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that's. I mean, I think that's a big benefit. That's a competitive advantage they have. Then it is. But I mean, the fact that this is Oracle bashing or kind of critiquing well, Salesforce, sure. it, yeah, it, it kind yeah. of you have to consider the source, but, right? Right. But, but also, I mean, facts are facts, and if that's true. Then that's probably a, an advantage. It is okay, and and so point three. Uh, Einstein faces a bit of hype backlash in achieving widespread adoption by Salesforce customers. One analyst I spoke with noted that most Salesforce customers are still uneasy about embracing last year's Dreamforce hype. Lightning. The same feeling applies to Einstein, and Salesforce didn't do itself any favors with everything but the kitchen sink positioning. I'm sure, what he means by that, but I guess I guess they kind of said 
Einstein is everything in sales or Einstein is Salesforce. Everything in Salesforce is Einstein. It, it just kind of, it lacked yeah, focus, it I lacked know. direction. Right. It, it, you know, it wasn't tangible. It was this big buzz. Well, I feel like a lot of this stuff that Salesforce goes out there and promotes, they'll, they'll come up with a new word. I mean, is, is App Cloud tangible? What does that even mean? I mean, what does that specifically mean? Is the is the customer success platform is that tangible? What like what do I have? Or, you know, when, if I'm a company running Salesforce and I've got you know a couple of things I've bought, I mean, what actually do I have? It's it's hard to know when you listen when you read Salesforce's PR and listen to these talks at Dreamforce and different things. It's like, what even is that? Like, do I yeah. already have that? And and a lot of times you probably do. And is that just a new name for something that already exists? A lot of times, yes. I mean, it wasn't AppCloud just a new name for? I mean, Roku and Force.com and yeah, and when I and I mean, Peter Coffey's original diagram that he drew up for AppCloud included basically everything. You know, everything from the Salesforce side, which I which I think we now can safely say Marketing Cloud goes into right. I mean, but I but basically, guess. you know, all of Sales Cloud, all of Marketing Cloud, all of the Force.com stuff, and Heroku. I mean, when you add basically any Salesforce.com owned property, any property that Salesforce owns is is called AppCloud. I, at least that's what I think. That's what his diagram showed. Yeah. Has that changed? Well, probably. That's that's the benefit of not of not clearly defining things. Is you can you can slyly change their definition over time, and no one can call you on it because you never defined it in the first place. Yeah, I, 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 won't, I, won't, I won't make you get into that. I was going to mention something, but I, I'm not going to open that can of worms. Okay. All right. So his final words on this, and, and it leads up to why he titled the article the way he did. Um, so what do you get when you take a bunch of existing parts from across your platform, slap them together, and relabel them as something new? Frankenstein, not Einstein, yeah. and it's really scary. I don't know about I don't know if it's scary. Yeah, yeah it's just it's, it's marketing. It's, it, it's that went along with a theme, though. It called yeah, scary. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Halloween, maybe he's still yeah. thinking about Halloween. Was, he's, he's, it, he yeah. wrote this on a sugar high, is yeah. what he did. <laughs> too much, uh, too many candy corns. Yeah. Um, so, so I mean, what? I mean, that was pretty much. 80% of the content that he put here. Uh, why would this article go away? Because he talks too much about the comp his competitor. I always find it weird. And Salesforce doesn't do, do this as much as they used to because they've gotten to where they are in, a, I think, a, a market position where they don't really have to talk about their competitors as much, but they mm -hmm. used to. And every time, you know, when Larry, when Larry Ellison gets up at Oracle World and spends two hours talking about AWS and um, Docker lightweight who, who was what was the other? He talked about AWS and another one. I can't remember now. For almost the whole time, I think it was Workday. I can't remember. Talked very little about Salesforce though. Um, yeah, just like why are you talking about your competitor? You, you're you're actually kind of lending. You're making me think. Damn, maybe I should go check out AWS instead of Oracle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's like there's a reason that you're talking about AWS for an hour here. It's because they're good, and they're kicking your Fitbit. <laughs> All right. Well, that's the end of that. Um, moving on. Uh, Benioff made another list. Another See that? List. I'm going to make my own list. He made Harvard Business Reviews the best performing CEOs in the world. Um, out of 100, he was number 16. Wow. Uh, and, and it seemed like the, the, the way they ranked it and picked the CEOs was based on their ability to focus on long-term growth versus short-term growth, which I guess means these are people who aren't making money, but potentially could make a bunch of money in the future. Company wise. I mean, yeah. Um, and cause I mean, that's what it all focused on was, was, you know, 
with the market being but they what don't it they is, don't know if Salesforce is going slow. to make money, so how can they well, even? No, it's it's just that you know with the market, their arguments are, and I'm not going to say that this is true, but mm. their arguments is is the market is 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 in a slow growth phase. Um, that you know, there's constant pressure for profit for profitability. Yet these CEOs that they've picked, um, many of them are in startups. Um, some some are not. Um, they're focused on longer term strategies. So they're investing heavily in, in R and D or they're investing in their marketing or, or sales and all those kind of things. They're not necessarily turning a profit every quarter, um, uh, but they're focused on the growth. They're, they're focused <laughs> on their vision. Uh, and, so this and to, list, to them, that's, that's really this exciting. Is AKA, uh, CEO, CEOs who are burning a crap ton of cash. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Six, number 16. Well, congratulations, Mr. Mark Benioff. Mark Russell Benioff, develop, developer of Atari games. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, I, I know I'm dominating, but I have to this time. My goodness. George Lucas is back. In what way? Uh, he wants to build a museum still in San Francisco. Was it? So was, this is his third. Benioff didn't want him to, right? Is that what it was? Or somebody didn't want him to? Well, I mean, Benioff was part of a group of people that um, was against him. I mean, Benioff, want, Benioff wanted, can park his cruise ship wherever he wants to and dump his poo poo <laughs> everywhere, but you know, don't <laughs> don't build a cool museum anywhere. So, so Lucas has a very interesting strategy this time around. <laughs> um, so, this is going to be his third attempt at trying to get a, a museum built. However, this time he's he's going for attempt number three and four at the same time, meaning he's he's two strategies. He sent out two proposals: one in L.A. and one in San Francisco. And I think his plan is to try and get the cities to compete and bid sure. for that museum. So either way, he gets he gets it's like what the professional sports teams do. He gets the he gets <laughs> either way he wins. Whoever ends up with unless they both drop it, but, right? But yeah. I don't I don't know. I don't well, know the last one he didn't he want to build it on Treasure Island. He still does. He still does. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's still the, what's, the spot. What's out there? Isn't that isn't that kind of run by the military? Is it still? Or not? I, don't, I think the the it's it's um isn't there valuable real estate. And there's not a lot of it. But I feel like it's been all federal owned. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. Um, but from my understanding, is, is, is there's not a lot of real estate there. Um, what he wants to build is pretty big. In fact, it's going to take up the entire lot. Um, so it'll be basically no, hardly any outdoor um, space and, and mostly indoor space. And is, can you get to Treasure Island by car? I have no idea. I don't I th th thought I saw bridges. Are there? Okay. <clears throat> I thought it might be ferry only. I don't know. Oh, maybe. I did I did see in one of the renderings of ferry, so maybe. You like fairies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sprinkled pixie dust and can fly. <laughs> I want to fly. Um, another thing on the Oracle topic, They, uh, I guess the NetSuite deal is going through. Did you see that? No, I didn't. I guess it is. I, I, oh, who was it? I think it was T. Rowe Price. T. Rowe Price. Yeah, they were like, they wanted... They wanted Oracle to raise its... I guess they owned a lot of NetSuite. Is that what it was? They must have. Because well, they I, wanted Oracle to raise their offer price simply because Ellison owns a lot of NetSuite and they just didn't think that was fair or something? Well, I think they wanted to make more of the deal. And I, and I think they wanted El, some of Ellison's share, but he wouldn't give it up. And I think in order for them to say, okay, let's make this go through, why don't you up the price so that we're all happy? We're all fat and happy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is always fun to point out. NetSuite was uh, doing SaaS before Salesforce was. Yeah, but I don't know. Their version wasn't... 
Yeah, software as a service. I mean, Aren't they spinning up I'm a whole saying, new instance? I'm not saying for it was great. Individual? For each, in, for each work? Know. Well, to me, again, I, this goes back to my opinion on a multi-tenant. Multi-tenant is not, it, to me, that's it's, it's a, it's a, it should be a black box to the user. Like, whether you, the way you've implemented this as a multi-tenant is, a, is a, an implementation detail that mm. should I shouldn't be able to see or care about. <clears throat> the problem with multi-tenant is it's a leaky abstraction, and you always have to care about it, unfortunately. Yeah, but I don't, I don't think it was as elegant as Salesforce just spinning up an instance and giving you a login or even automating either. it. Right. I think they had some work on their end to set I, it up. I agree with you, but that doesn't mean it wasn't. It's not SaaS, though. It still is software as a service. Sure. This may not be as multi-tenant. Right. SaaS. I have a SaaS uh, drop. When I talk about cloud, like, I don't even think about SaaS. So that's, yeah, I guess nothing else about that. So I guess they're going to get NetSuite, though. Um, yeah, $9.3 billion. It's a pretty good size. I mean, what was their revenue either, even? Were they even a billion-dollar company? Revenue-wise? Okay. I think it was only a couple billion, though. I think they were yeah, only was, for like a couple billion. Yeah, they're, they never grew fast. Very slow growth. Either either they, they were... I think it's a couple billion because I think that's what um, Oracle said it's going to add to their cloud business is a couple billion. And yeah. that, that's going to push them a lot closer to, to beating Banyan at, yeah. at 10 billion. I don't know if it's going to put them over, but I think it gets them really close. Um, I have a story I want to tell. I don't know if now is good or if you wanted to go to something else. I have a quick throwaway topic. Okay. Uh, Salesforce... Uh, I don't, they didn't really lose someone. Someone moved on from Salesforce Engineering, uh, Kathy Polinsky, and moved on to Stitch Fix as a CTO. Well, they just lowered their woman count by one. They did. How? How? Why and, would and a Why would a woman their woman count by three? Uh, why would a woman leave Salesforce? Uh, you know, there, there's really actually nothing dramatic about this. She just her career path was she wanted to be a CTO eventually, and this opportunity came up, yep. and so she Salesforce lost she out on a on a. On a smart woman because they didn't find a good role for her. Uh, yeah, I guess that's fair to say. But it, it was her career path, and she found something yeah. she wanted to be a CEO, uh, uh, now CEO the, of. Now they're going to have to go hire another woman to keep their get their ratio back in check. True, because <clears throat> you know if you don't hit the ratios, you're uh, well. It didn't say who Salesforce promoted in her place or hired in her place. So, uh, so Stitch Fix. I didn't even know what that was, but apparently it's one of those. Um, Online style shops. Uh, I don't know if you know what the trunk club is or something like that, yeah. but it's basically you send you do your measurements and send them to them, and then they they have a team of people that go, "Here's what you should be wearing." To or you look get cool. like a. I know on trunk club, I think you get a someone you can actually you can even talk to them. It's one person that's assigned to you, and they're a stylist. Yeah, and they they kind of just get get a feel for your personality, what you like, and then they kind of put together a couple of outfits for you. And I I looked into this. I think it was trunk club. This one I looked into. There's a few of these now. <clears throat> Um, but the problem is, I mean, the, the clothes are, are nice, and I'm sure the stylist probably knows what they're doing, but I just pay a lot less for clothes than that. That was my like, problem. I'm the type I, of guy, I looked at it too, when, I, when I need clothes, I go, to my, I go to Gmail, and I click on that promotions tab, and I go to see, like, okay, does Old Navy or Gap or Banana or one of these uh, J. Crew, to, who's, who's got a sale that's like everything 60% off? And I just go to that, and then I'll buy some jeans, some shorts, and some shirts, <laughs> and I'm good. You know, and I spend like I end up spending very little money on clothes because but it's of that. not just the cost of clothes; it's the the time and effort that the stylist put into putting that together for you to making you look as good as you should. Personally, I just I don't feel like I get the value out of that. Well, well here's another kink in that business model's armor: is um, my a, wife kind of likes to 
<laughs> dress me up. She likes to, yeah, to you play have, Ken and Barbie with me. You have you know? your own trunk club right there in your house. So, so I think if, <laughs> if I was to go to trunk club and say, no, I got some, I got some third party to dress me, she might take offense to it. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's so ridiculous. Your wife dresses you, John. She doesn't dress me. But I'm going to say, you wear like skater shoes and t-shirts every day. Because that's what I like, and so she <laughs> she buys that for me. She, I don't think she's... I, I let that, her do the shopping because... It doesn't take much fashion work to do no, that. No, no, it's, it's, not, it's not that. It's, it, I, I let it's her do it. It's grunt work at that point. She's just ordering stuff no, for you. She, let me finish. <laughs> she enjoys it because she, she actually finds deals. She enjoys the process of going out and finding a deal on something. So whenever I need something, I just tell her, and she usually finds the best price for it. Now, it takes her... You know, she spends a couple hours yeah. doing it, right. but she enjoys the process. She enjoys the win of you know, buying something at a cheaper price or getting a discount or getting a rebate. So yeah. I let her do it. Which is good. Um, it keeps yeah. us out of the poorhouse because yeah. I just, I go find something and go, okay, I want that. Right. Yeah. Glad you have that service available to you. Not everybody does. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, okay, so my story. <clears throat> so I, um, a while back, built a very simple inventory management system for a company. And I say simple, but you'd be surprised to build an inventory management system, even a simple one, correctly. And this is on this is on Salesforce, just get old force.com Apex and custom objects and triggers and stuff. Hmm. Um, it's actually, I won't say it's difficult, um, but you really have to think through a lot of things because there's a lot of ways your inventory can get out of sync. Yep. Um, can, I mean, problems can come in from so many different directions, right? And I think we did a pretty good job of designing this and building it, and it's worked really well. And the other day, I was deploying something unrelated, but I, when I went to deploy, completely unrelated, not related to inventory at all. Uh, tests test failed in production, and tests that hadn't changed, code hmm. that hadn't changed. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And it was, some of these inventory tests were failing. It's like, well, that's not good. Sounds like a new validation rule or something <laughs> happened. Well, what it was, was a workflow. Somebody created a workflow in production and it was doing a workflow update. And it was causing tr a whole new set of triggers to fire. So mm -hmm. instead of creating one new inventory transaction record, we were now creating two inventory transaction records. Oh, and you could say, well, you're, you're, you know, this system should be smart enough to be able to handle being tri triggered multiple times in the same transaction, right? right. Should be smart enough. <clears throat> okay, because you can do things like, have I seen this opportunity product ID before? If I have seen this, then, and then, and then could, actually that becomes a much harder problem to solve. So let's say, let's say someone adds an opportunity product to a closed opportunity. Well, that should affect your inventory, right? So you, see, you know the trigger sees that and it does inventory stuff, but then a workflow field update fires and and you in the same transaction your trigger gets called again. And so I guess what do you do? You say, oh, did have you seen this? Has this trigger seen this opportunity product ID before in the same transaction? If so, what do you do? Do you undo what you did before, or do you just ignore the new one? <clears throat> right. So anyway, yeah. it's it's not necessarily an easy problem to solve. You got a lot more to think through. Right. right? And so back to my, to pop that back a little bit, should this thing should, that I built, should it account for all those scenarios? Well, maybe if those scenarios exist. But at the time that all that was created, the system that we built and deployed, it all worked. Mm -hmm. 
I can't help it if someone is going into production and changing the live system, adding components that affect triggers and all kinds of stuff. And this is why you don't change stuff in production. I don't care how small it is. And this is a small, this is a small company too. Yeah. Now they're doing a lot with Salesforce for a small company, but still it's a small company. And so these principles and like and practices apply to the smallest of companies. You don't change stuff in production. You don't, you know, you shouldn't do piecemeal deployments. You should tag all your deployments so that you can track them, so that you can do a git bisect or whatever if you're trying to to find out why something doesn't work anymore. Right. Um, and and if you are doing all those things, then it's actually easy, really easy to see what changed. Well, oh shoot, we we got a we got a test breaking, but it's going to be broken in a development environment, not in not in production. And you can and then if you need to see, well, gosh, I don't remember changing thing. What changed? Well, you can do like I said. There's there's tools for that now because you're tracking everything. You got everything in version control, even all your metadata. Right. And but, I mean, is, that's, again, that's again, again, this is a small that you company. The habit that you know, even if you add a process builder, a workflow, or a flow, you know, any any anything like a validation rule that that someone gets in the habit of actually running the tests. You can't. It can't make it to production without all tests running. That's the beauty of this. It can't make it to production without getting committed into into Git, because that's because the way stuff gets into version control is a script checks out master from Git, runs the build if there's any build that needs to be run, and then deploys the whole thing to production. That's how you get things into production. Yeah, it's true. I mean, that's the beauty of having a process, and it's not it's not necessarily complicated. I mean, yeah, there's some tooling that has to be set up because. Again, the tool the tooling situation on Salesforce. There's, a, there's, you know, there's. It's actually it's funny. There's, there's a lot. I mean, every day now, it's like there's more. Th- you know, kind of just third party, whether it's some cloud service that that promises to make deployments easy for Salesforce, or it's some you know new Java library or some you know some Node command line thing. There's stuff pro- cro- cropping up everywhere, but they they all seem to actually s- still suffer from the same problems. They're just you know solving the the basic problems in different ways mm-hmm. or whatever. But yeah, but, but did, did it actually? It actually the unit test actually failed, right? Because it saw more than one record created. When I went to deploy completely unrelated changes to production, all of course all unit tests ran, and mm-hmm. some of these inventory ones failed. So does that mean that the, the <clears throat> sorry the workflow was created, but In it production. was creating duplicates without anyone knowing? Because the workflow was causing triggers to run twice for the same transaction. Yes, duplicate records were being created. And no one just no one noticed. No one noticed. Wow. Yep. So, and you said this was inventory tracking. So did it did it bloat the inventory available, or did it um, overstate the inventory that is available? It it actually but worked in both scenarios. So let's say that the way this is set up is it. I mean, there's different ways. I, I said the same thing twice. There's different ways that inventory transaction records can be created, but one of the ways is just by opportunities. So if you have a closed one opportunity, any products on there, that would affect inventory. Because basically this company wants to assume that closed one means you've... And there's there's actually, there's different, I guess, almost like, not inventory locations, but they're different, um, so that you've got quantity on hand, mm-hmm. right? You've got quantity allocated, and then... The difference between those is the quantity available. Right. Right. Yeah. And so this is tracking all three of those things. And you can, 
if you're doing it in a transaction log or is it yeah there's a transaction log i mean it'd be worse if it was just there's incrementing yeah, decrementing a field it's doing both yeah yeah and, and the only thing that can increment and decrement those fields which are on the product the only thing that can increment or decrement those is is an inventory transaction record and Users can't manually create inventory transaction records. What they can do is they can move their opportunity stage from something that doesn't affect inventory at all to something that allocates inventory. Right. Right. And when they do that, then the system will create inventory transaction records, which will then update those quantity available, quantity on hand, all that, all that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. So, I mean, you, Based on what user, you know, regular users can do, they can, yeah, they can, they can do things that create inventory transaction records that allocate things. And if they, and if on that same opportunity, if they were to roll it from close one back to like we didn't win this, right. uh, that would create inventory transactions in the other direction. And it would be a negative quantity, right? right. So, but it would only decrement it, it, once. Yeah, or or in this case, it was actually we were getting we were getting double uh, inventory transactions. Oh, because the duplication was yep. at the and transaction it, 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 level. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So I mean, it's just—I don't know. Just uh, the moral of the story is—is is, is, um, be, be very um, mindful of when of you know there's there's a line somewhere that you cross in which you need to grow up and treat this like a real system and a real business. So I have a follow up question to you on this. Um, <clears throat> does this experience change how you would write that trigger in the future? Do you take this and go? I've seen this bite me in the ass because someone wrote a trigger. Well, I'm going to start making sure that all my triggers either yeah. only run once or they're 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 you know diligent about what has changed and you know what what transactions. It kind of reminds me of um, yes. So the answer to that is yes. Um, it kind of reminds me of um, let's say that you have a, a an Apex interface, right? And it's got five methods, and <clears throat> you're going to have a class that implements this interface, except one of those methods. Don't, doesn't really apply to this class you're creating. Mm -hmm. So you still have to implement, implement it, though. The compiler makes you, right? Right. But the, what, you, what, what do you do when you implement it? You implement that method, and then you just throw an exception that says, this is not supported. And Java is like the unsupported operation exception, right? Of course, that violates the Liskov substitution principle, but we'll leave that for another topic. <laughs> <laughs> and that's kind of what I, what I think is the best thing to do here. What really what the way these triggers should work. <clears throat> and this goes into, I'm sure, you, do, you have, do you use like a trigger framework? Or have you seen any of these trigger frameworks? Actually, I want to get into that. Okay. It's actually a topic that I wanted to bring so up. So a good trigger framework, I think, would by default, if you don't <clears throat> specify anything else, if your trigger runs more than once, it should just throw an exception and stop. Because, it, because what that means is, it's almost like um, code that's not thread safe. Mm-hmm. Code that's not thread safe, you should not use in a multi-threaded situation. If you do, it should somehow. If, the problem is it can't usually, but if you know magically it could, it should detect that. Hey, you're trying to. I'm not multi-threaded. I'm not. I'm not thread safe, but you're running. You're running. You're hitting me with multiple threads. I'm going to throw an exception, and say, Hey, you didn't plan for this. You're about to hose everything up. You should probably stop, right? And it should make you stop and fix everything. And that's what I think by default triggers should do. If you don't, if you haven't explicitly planned for the scenario where you're gonna, your trigger is going to be executed multiple times in the same transaction for the same record, mm -hmm. if, if you're not supporting that and aware of that, right, then you should just by default just have some boolean, right? That's like this is has ran or not, and if it has ran, check every time it runs, and if it has ran, throw an exception, just stop because that is an unsupported scenario. 
Like, we didn't think this would happen, and we don't even plan to support this right now. So just stop, and let's fix what's wrong. Let's figure out why this is happening. And, and then we can either add support for it, or we can just fix what, stop whatever was causing that to, to execute multiple times. Right. Yeah, and that's a good point, because I think traditionally what I end up doing is I, I, I do count, and I do set a limit. For every trigger, you're always counting? Just... Because I, I certainly don't, but like well, I said, some of these frameworks do that. And, and it's it's recently, you know, based on learning some things. But I have other issues. I have issues with um from asynchronous, you know, things that I'm doing asynchronously. And if something else triggers something from an asynchronous that triggers my code and that tries to run asynchronously, oh, yeah. it's an issue. So I have now I have this, you know, global method that I can call utility method that I can call that says, you know, can I run async? And if not, it it falls back to a synchronous call. Okay. However, I hate that because I can't. I can't test that damn code. Right. Because I can't put it in an asynchronous context yep. and tell it run so that it goes in the synchronous context. It's, right. It pisses me off. Yeah. Um, so a lot of times I just don't do that. I'll just, just won't process it. I don't, I don't not process it. <laughs> I don't process it async. I'll just do it synchronously, which sucks because now I'm making the user wait for something they probably shouldn't have to wait for. Yeah, and if, and if you're using asynchronous to try to break out of limits or things, that can you can end up with runtime exceptions. Well, I, I look at asynchronous more as a way of being responsible. I mean, I, I think record creation should be fast, and the user shouldn't have to wait if for something that they can't deal with, they can't respond to. So if I'm going to run some logic or something, some business logic, and if it fails, and there's really nothing they can do about it, or it's just this thing that has to happen in the background that they don't really have to worry about, I want that to be asynchronous. Yeah. I don't want them to have to worry about that or take up you know time in their saves um, to have to worry about that. Well, so I, would, I try to push a lot of that yeah, asynchronously. Right. Well, you get it. You get it outside. You, when it runs asynchronously, it also runs in a separate transaction. So you're not preventing the user from um, say you know saving their record or doing whatever right. they were doing. They save and it's yeah. quick and easy, and they move on. And yeah. my stuff can run in the background. Yep. And I'm happy with that. Right. Even if that is asynchronous fails, I mean that's fine. That's something that can be dealt with right. in a and, a separate, a and separate I'm fine time. with my failover back to synchronous because it's already in that synchronous context. So it should, you know, the user's still not waiting. So I'm fine with that. The problem is when you're on a team um, or you have legacy code that didn't account for that, n- now you're kind of stuck with, you know, how do I refactor this? How do I get, you know, all of this to kind of follow that same rule set so that, you know, everything's working properly? And that's, that's, that brought me to my next topic, if, if I can segue. Okay. You're not done. I'm good. <laughs> and that is, I, I am looking at, um, I am looking at performance right now. Um, a lot of triggers were built around certain very critical objects, leads, um, even events, believe it or not, um, opportunities. Um, these are objects that should be fast, but they're not. They take a long time to save because there's all this stuff that happens in the background. It's workflow rules, it's triggers, it's process builder, it's flows. Uh, just about anything mm. that is possible to leverage against a record on save has been leveraged. Any, any. Also, um, if you're inserting a record into an object that's got a lot of records already, um, every any field that's indexed is going to slow down inserts. Also, yeah. Um, so, so I'm in the process of kind of figuring out. Okay, I need to. Sorry, excuse me. I need to come up with a way to make a recommendation on how we can refactor this and streamline it in a way that we can start pushing this logic off and improving performance. Uh, and that led me to, okay, well, maybe I should be looking at some of these, maybe I should look at a framework and make sure someone hasn't solved this already. <clears throat> I looked at a few frameworks and um, some of them look like they could help, 
but they were extremely dense and bloated, in my opinion. Mm. Just tons of factory classes and interfaces. Um, on the simpler end, it seemed like it was a waste of time. Uh, on the simpler end, I found a framework that someone recommended that um, used a dispatcher pattern. So it, it basically stuck a dispatcher class on the trigger uh, in front of the trigger. So you have your trigger class, then you have the dispatcher class, and that would execute methods on an interface. And then you're supposed to implement that interface with your custom logic. But to me, that's that's what the trigger class already does. It is the dispatcher. Uh, so it just seemed like a waste of time. This I've, dispatcher class. I've noticed no the same sense. thing about some. So I've seen trigger frameworks that I that I did like, and it, I tend to like the simpler ones actually. And I've seen some that um, that yeah were exceptionally bloated. And the thing you always have to remember, you know, in the Salesforce world, until we get some way to organize code, whether it's packages, namespaces, some some mechanism. You know, you're always careful about the bloat. And if if implementing a trigger means you're creating, you know, two inter you know two interfaces and three classes, then that's rough, man. That's yeah. that's your global namespace there. Now, I like the idea of, of the framework and the interfaces because it kind of forces us into a structure. You know, when someone creates a new trigger, you have to imp implement this interface, and yeah. you yeah. get a you get a you know if you're, you're not the only, if you're not the only one working on the code, I mean, you want to you want anyone else who's working in it, and they may be a more junior person to itch. You want it to be as obvious as possible, like where you should hang your code. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> however, one thing I didn't like about the Lightly's framework is they treated each um, event, you know, the before insert, before update, each one of those was its own method. And I'm not a fan of that because I have code and logic that runs on update, save, and delete, or update, save, and undelete. Um, so I, I like to use the trigger class as the dispatcher. I do too. And I like to use just yeah. if, you know, my if statements. Yeah. To do that, and that means I can do if trigger is before and is save and update or insert and update and delete, and then just have one method call there. And I can organize the code that way. What I didn't like about some of these frameworks is it tried to abstract that away into these methods, and now I had to duplicate my code. I had to put this method here, 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 here in order for it to get called. I'm the same way. I, I Historically, you can go look at any of my triggers. Are they classes? Are they called trigger classes? <laughs> Uh, I'm actually not sure what the hell they are. They're I, they're very weird. I tried to turn them as listeners, you know, kind of event listeners, and, but, given that pattern. But so the what you know historically, you can you can go look at a trigger I've created, and there's going to be one trigger for the object. That's that's kind of a, a what, what do you name it? I, I've been going back and forth. I started, I <clears> I went from like so it, let's say account. I would say I started with saying account trigger, and then I just said eh, I'm just going to call it account. So it's account dot trigger. Yeah, which right, and when you look, yeah, yeah, I still. I think just out of habit, I still do like account. It's account trigger dot trigger. Yeah, but um, no, but you could you could go to my account trigger trigger, and you could see because it almost it, it it should read like English, and they do. I mean, you can go to the after update section of that trigger, and you can see exactly what's happening. And I mean, right. you can get a quick mental grasp of what's going to be what's what's going to happen here, right? Um, because I've named my classes and methods well. Right. And, you know, I try to stick to the single responsibility principle so that when you see, you know, if you do that and you name things well, then you end up with pretty good, pretty good and pretty readable code. Um, I have noticed that recently I've, I have switched more to creating a, um, a lot of this is because existing legacy code in, in some of these orgs, but a, um, a, a an Apex class. Mm -hmm. That becomes kind of that dispatcher. So you've got the <laughs> you got the trigger, 
<laughs> which just, you know, in the after update of the trigger, just calls the after update of this other Apex class. The th one of the benefits to that is you can, because that Apex class is an actual class that's a, a first class thing, mm -hmm. and whereas triggers, I, I'm never quite sure, like, can it extend something? Can it implement something? Can you have members on the on the trigger like what exactly it's just not documented really well and i just i kind of try to stay it, it, away from it's it it's <clears throat> pretty much common practice not to put any major logic or anything it, it, you treat it as and i treat i mean i treat it as a dispatcher it, it, its only purpose is to dispatch the the the, the execution calls of the and methods. i think the body of a trigger is essentially everything you put in a trigger you basically gets put into like a method it's like a giant method yeah is what a I trigger think, is, right? I think once upon a time, you could actually put your unit test logic in the trigger <clears throat> I think class. so, too. I don't think you can. Um, well, you can't anymore, but because you can't do that anywhere anymore. I don't think I've ever even tried that, but <clears throat> yeah, don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, having having yet another thing, in this case, an Apex class, that has your before update, before insert, after update, all, all those methods in it, <clears throat> it's kind of nice because, again, that class can have members... It can it can it can represent kind of your trigger for framework or whatever it can it can be that implementation of a of a trigger framework. Um, it can implement interfaces. It can extend other classes. You can have abstract things. It, it's a it's a full class with all the features that a class has. So for that reason, I think because I, I don't think I've actually stopped to analyze why I've kind of started doing this, but that's what I've started doing now. I, I think I I attempted to do that at one point, and I just realized for me it just seemed like unnecessary. To yeah. have to do that. So what I do is I create a meth. I have I have a class that represents that mo it, it becomes a module. It's that module of functionality. It yeah. has a static method that in initiates the process. So in my trigger, it's just class name dot execute this method, and the method is named really well. Yeah. And what I pass into that method is the trigger new and the tr and the old map. Yeah. And then that that method takes care of checking to see you know should I respond to this or not. Um, all my logic is is instance methods. So that's static. Once it figures out I need to respond to this, then it goes ahead and creates an instance of that class and runs the logic. And what that lets me do is now my logic is is in an instance class so I can call it from something else. So if a trigger's calling it, the trigger calls it. If I have some other routine that I want to call that logic, I can do that, which I've done for like batch executions or even um, creating a batch job to kind of backfill <coughs> yes, some logic. Yep. Um, so it lets it, it it opens up the world of things in terms of me to be able to having that code really flexible. And because it's modular, um, it's just calling a method and saying, "Here, go do this." Yeah. And then now everything's kind of a statement, a, a, a <clears throat> task list of, "Okay, go do this in, in my trigger. Go do this. Go this. Go this." And then all that runs. Right. <clears throat> so you've kind of hit on this topic of because um, that, that's a common, I guess, pattern is to have your logic be able to be executed from either a trigger or a batch job. Right. Right. That's that's kind of a thing that you'll see a re as a recurring kind of requirement in the Salesforce space. And it kind of reminds me of the rule of you, you, you know, when you look at a trigger or when you look at a, a visual force controller, you shouldn't see any business logic. What you should see is a, a, a visual force controller that is calling into essentially a service facade of your right. of your of your domain right it kind of back into the ddd thing um you know your <clears throat> your domain or your your business code whatever you want to call it should expose you know a service layer that the outside world calls into and the outside right. world is visual force controllers is triggers is batch classes 
Right. You know, you shouldn't implement logic in batch classes. It, it it's just like triggers for visual force controllers. They should be calling into the service layer of your of your domain. <clears throat> um, and I try to stick to and, that. And if you do that, then you can do things like, oh, we've been doing this for the <clears throat> from a trigger, but now we need to do it from a batch. No problem. Yeah. <clears throat> and that's again back kind of to partly single responsibility, but also just good, you know, enterprise application architecture, basically. Yeah, but it it's it's um it takes work. It's tedious. Uh, a lot of times, I will start with putting everything in the controller, and then as part of my refactoring, I'll start moving it out. Um, just because you know when I'm trying to rapidly develop something or work out the logic, I don't really know what I'm going to need to build just yet. Right the, now, the danger, I, and I and I get that. The danger with that is is what John? That's is this. Uh, I run out of time, yep. and I end up leaving it all in the controller. Yep, and it sucks. Yep, and it it, it sucks especially for uh, unit testing. Because uh, it's much easier to, t- to unit test blocks of functionality that are in, in what we'll call your service classes um, because now you're just testing the functionality. And then when it comes time to test your controller, you're just executing the methods yeah. as if you were and, the user. Right. And and it, this actually gets to kind of a downside here. Which theoretically, <clears throat> it should be very simple to test visual force controllers because what you what, the way you normally would do it is... Your visual force controllers, you know, like I said, they're they're just calling into some service layer of your of your business code, right? Well, that service layer could be easily you just drop a um, like a, a stub in or mm-hmm. some kind of fake, right? Yeah, you don't actually want it doing the things because you've got separate tests for that. You're testing you you should have you should have full test coverage for and I don't, don't want to say that that's not what I meant. You should have adequate and good test coverage on all your business code. I think it's possible so, so to get full. If, I, I, that's a separate topic. I don't want right. to get distracted by that. Um, and that should be full tested, and we should know that that works the way it's supposed to. Right. Testing a visual force controller, all we want to do is test that when you click on something or when a certain uh, controller action method is called, that it's calling into the service method. But we don't actually want to test what that service method does and that the domain logic works because right. we've already tested that. separate test. So there's really simple tests. Well, what you're testing is you're testing the, the execution logic and the flow and the state because your, your controllers also manage the state of your UI. Yes, but exactly. Thank you. The state of your UI. Right. Exactly. Not you know your your, your yeah your <clears throat> your view state. I mean right. You know whether you want to consider you know MVC MVVM MVP or yeah MVP exactly. Or <laughs> I mean they're all they're all similar concepts. You know you have it's not your domain model because that's deep within your domain. It's your view model that you're really right that you should be testing right. But it's so you know the thing is Visual Force is built around exposing your raw because if you think about it in Apex S object instances are basically DTOs, right? Yeah, yep. Um, except they're more no, that's not true. They're they're, they're kind of your <laughs> they're own way, they're way too tied to the database to the underlying implementation to be DTOs. DTOs are dumb classes that have getters and setters or properties, whatever you want to call them. They're just, they're dumb carriers of data. Whereas S-objects are very tied to the underlying persistence mechanism. And, and, and I kind of, it kind of gives me heartburn about putting, about tying visual force components directly to S-objects for that reason. You're totally, you're letting that, that layer leak all the way through up to, the, up to visual force. Yeah, but Visual Force is built to directly access S objects, and in many cases, I mean that's how you achieve things like security yeah. and um, getting date pickers. 
you know yeah, exactly <laughs> I mean, the input mechanisms because I struggle with that too because I prefer creating that abstraction I prefer working with a data structure that that has nothing to do with the data model that I can manipulate and then at some point in time there's some kind of mapping method mapping method it's usually like a 2s object method or something and that maps it to the s object and that's what I save however like you said, whenever it comes to displaying that, it needs to know, it needs to be attached to a natural S object. So what happens is I have my my data, well, it's not even a data structure anymore. It's a wrapper class at that point that has, you know, a few of my things that I need and yeah. then a reference to the S object, which <clears throat> I hate. Yep. But it's 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 better than tying everything directly to the yeah. S object. Yeah. I mean, that's just one of those things about Visual Force that I think is was a, a bad design, but... Well, Whatever. and it's going to continue into Lightning. I mean, Lightning has uh, input-specific methods, although they are starting to expand the Aura components and the UI components. Uh, it's getting confusing what's Aura and what's UI, and it's it's getting kind of confusing. I don't know. But, I, if you don't understand, I sure as heck don't. I, I need you to school but they, me. But they are starting to expand, you know, the the input <clears throat> tags to to you know more than just you know straight out input that's just going to generate whatever Salesforce decides to implement. So I think we'll get a little more granular control over that over time. But um, I am kind of a little disappointed by the number of components that we have access to it seems pretty limited at this point lightning uh, yeah. yeah and there's a lot of stuff that's in beta still right now in, in terms of core uh, inputs and I mean, formatting inputs I mean, and, lightning itself is going to be in beta for years true but i, I even have, if they don't call it that I've we seen, all know that's what it is i mean i've seen an upsurge and i can only say that because in the last week i have three different uh things to build that are lightning yeah um, i think the latest release what was it winter 17 yeah. I mean, I've been, and again, I don't, I don't use Lightning, but people tell me that it actually, you know, added yet another set of features that are going to allow certain types of orgs to go to go to Lightning now. Yeah, and I, I think, <clears throat> especially a lot of the newer customers, they're they're in fact with Lightning. They don't they don't know what they're missing. The so reason I know this is because there was a whole again a new wave of orgs that were able to switch to Lightning, and so you had all of a sudden like this new round of all these tweets and everything of all these Lightning fails, like because there's still like these air <laughs> air messages. Um, that just pop, you know, these modal error messages that pop up, and you have to like restart the whole thing or whatever. You know, and, yeah. So, I feel like every time there's a new release, you have a new wave of orgs going on on onto Lightning, and then you see all this all the problems again. Yeah, and some <clears> of the uh, I'm hurt. one one of the things I'm tasked to building is actually a rebuild of something I built in Visual Force that now has to be built in Lightning because um, it looks like classic Lightning. Yeah. In Visual Force, yep. and it's a iframe. Yeah. Mm. And it's not going to be anymore. It's going to be Lightning. Yeah. Um, I, I'm still working on stuff. I, I actually hoped I'd be done with it today so I could kind of tell a story about it, but I'll save that for next week once I get these built. Because they're actually, uh, they're, they're, they're different. One's a really simple related list. I'm actually going to build a card and a related list page so that the card is the what you see on the related list tab and it's just got, you know, four of the top entries. And then you have your view all and that'll take you to the actual related list page. Kind of, you know, typical, you know, you'll see the full list with, in a table. Yeah. Um, so I'm building that out, uh, and that's actually going to replace just one component. Now I'm building two Lightning components to to solve that problem. Another one is taking my CSV importer tool that I've kind of re-implemented like three or four times for different people, and it's Visual Force styled oh, in Lightning. You're, you're really milk, milking that one, aren't you? I am. <laughs> it's styled like <laughs> Lightning, so it looks like Lightning, but it's actual Visual Force. Now I'm actually going to take that and make it true uh, Lightning component. Uh, actually, I think it's going to be an app. It's going to be a Lightning app. <laughs> one of these days, I'll learn Lightning when I feel like it's worth my time. And then the other one is, uh, oh, it's for communities. So that's at, I'm actually going to cover quite a gamut of different things because you have to treat 
community oh. components in different ways. Maybe, well. you can, maybe you can decode the the community news. <clears throat> it was um, was it lightning a new new lightning features for partner communities? I think is what it was. Did you see that? Uh, I saw an article on it, but it was kind of light information. I don't really do anything with partner communities, so. So there was like a ZDNet article, and I feel like <clears throat> you know these people that ZDNet and and even like um, who else like Forbes and that that try to cover Salesforce, but they you know they just they're just I don't know they don't they, they don't know what they're talking about at all, and they I think they had they just no, better make headlines. They, and, I mean, and sell some ad dollars. They don't even know what these terms are using mean. They're just they're just finding okay, how can we take this press release and shift some things around so it's not verbatim. Drop a couple of screenshots in, get a quote from someone, and boom, you're done. Of course, it's just the model of journalism now, or whatever the. I don't know if they don't know what they're talking about. I think it's just it's a. They're, I they're, literally don't think they know what these words mean. But. I think I think it's just quick writing. It's like I, I can hand this, I can pound this yeah. out in an hour, and I can, I'll get paid. Well, you, you get know, paid by yeah, you, you get paid by the word. Yeah, and it's and it's not much. I mean, if you spend more than if I get paid by the word, I'll I'll put lightning in a hundred times in an article. Well, and the thing is, I mean, I, I bet this person didn't spend more than thirty minutes on this article. You don't have time. You're not going to make enough money. I mean, you might get paid $30, $40 for it. How can you spend more than 30 minutes on it? Yeah. But, okay, let's see what they say. Salesforce rolls out Lightning partner community. So, yeah, I think this is... And this is... I was corrected in the Slack earlier because I was complaining about... Um, Convergence. Uh, oh, no, no. I thought, I thought this announcement was about Salesforce's... What do they call it? The partner portal. Oh, or, no, okay. no, I'm sorry. That's not what it's called. The, the partner... With, I don't even know what you call it now. It's the thing that Salesforce partners log into. It's the that community of. I thought it was a partner portal. It is, but you can't call it partner portal because then you're. I, I'm not talking about the partner portal product Salesforce has. I'm talking about the <laughs> the website that <laughs> Salesforce partners log into. That that group of organizations and people. I'm, I'm trying to. I've work, always known that as partner portal. So. Yeah, I think they call it community. <laughs> but anyway, I thought that's what it was talking about because I had to log in there to to log a case, which actually I want to talk about. I had to get in there to log a case, and so I log in, and the first thing I did is this new a new pop up that it wants me to fill out more of my. It's it's not satisfied with how much of my profile is filled out, so it makes me fill out some profile stuff and select some interests or whatever. It's like ah whatever, so I filled it out, I hit save, and then I get you know the Salesforce kind of white screen of death or whatever it's called, mm-hmm. basically just you know error message. And I, I thought that's what this was. I was like oh, great, you know they issued a press release about this new thing, and now you know it doesn't even work. But then someone sent me straight that said actually those are two completely separate things. So yeah, the, what's the sub-headline here? Essentially, the Lightning Partner community extends the CRM and AI tools to a business... Oh, no. A, God, I can't even read AI this. AI tools? The Lightning Partner community extends the CRM and AI tools a business is using to its resellers, franchisees, and channel terms. Channel teams, sorry. Gosh, well, I'm... This cold has still got me weird. So these are re, you know partners that are reselling Salesforce licenses? No, no, no. It's... It's it's not even for partners. It's for Salesforce customers, Salesforce orgs. Okay. If you have a partner community where you are interacting with your partners, right? Oh, okay. It's it's okay. letting them use a you know I guess Lightning and Einstein stuff in the in that that in that partner community, right? Which I'm like, whatever. I mean, I don't know. I, I you know that's one of the light, communities are one of those things that still you know if you read through our Slack channel, I mean, it's basically considered still a a dumpster fire. It's just, oh my gosh, it's so, it's such a mess still. Well, it, it's a, it's a tough product because it's not, it's no lo- it's not like Salesforce CRM where, you know, whatever gaps or inadequacies it has, you can deal with that on an internal basis. This is customer facing. So there's a little more diligence due on it. There's a little more, you know, visibility on it. So it, 
it's a tougher product, I think, to, to get right. It's just fumbling along as a product, and it's just, oh my God, there's so many rough edges. It's, it's, I mean, you can get stuff done with it, and you can build. I mean, I've built communities that ended up being incredibly valuable and that have been you know, show, showcases at Dreamforce. Um, huge success stories. Mm-hmm. But, boy, you don't want to see how that sausage is made. It ain't pretty. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um, let's do this Balmer thing that I was playing earlier. Balmer? Yeah. yeah. Eh, I just got interviewed. Developers, developers, yeah, not developers. That one. This is a new one. <laughs> you mentioned you can never make the math work on Salesforce. Oh, yeah. Never, ever, ever, ever. What do you mean by that? It's, it's too expensive. It's a fine company. I, I, you know, is it a great company? I don't know. It's a fine company. But in my opinion, relative to earnings potential, it is dramatically overpriced. That's just my opinion. Do you think they're headed for a disaster? Or the company's could- headed for a disaster. In, in my worldview, at some point in time, the market will ask companies to make profits commensurate with their market cap. Now, Amazon doesn't either. Uh, they have great potential. It's a great company. Great company. Uh, when will the market demand that? Can't say. When will it demand it from Salesforce? Can't say. Is Amazon getting a pass from Wall Street? They are, because people, I think, believe powerfully enough in the future of earnings. But you can't tell me over the long run earnings and market cap are, are divorced. That sort of runs fundamental to my basic view in, in capitalism and the way it works. I think it was very well said, actually. It was, yeah. I mean, it, w- I mean he wasn't being overly critical. He's just saying that, you know, and this is, you know, anyone who's listened to this podcast for longer than a few weeks knows that <laughs> this is kind of this, this is really the same thing I've been saying. It's like, at some point, there's, get, there's going to be a reckoning. Either, you know, these companies are going to grow into their market cap. Right. Or they're not, and there's going to, you know, and then the reckoning will come. Yeah, and I think we talked a little bit about that at lunch, kind of coming from a different perspective, and that is, you know, if there's been a lot of talk about the market and the tech sector recently and everything, and, you know, whether or not this bubble is about to pop, and, you know, and that that bubble popping is going to mean that companies are going to have to show profitability. They're going to have to show that they're in, they're, they can make a profit at this. They can stick around. And I think from, from a sales perspective, they either show they're going to make a profit or their stock is going to drop enough that someone's going to buy them. Yep. And I made the comment that I don't think Microsoft needs them anymore at this point. I think Microsoft is well beyond needing Salesforce, so I don't even think they would make a bid. And the only people, the only per- company I think that could make a bid or, and would make a bid would be Oracle. I think it would be hard for Microsoft to digest Salesforce at this point. And I think it would be easier well, I, for Oracle to digest Salesforce. I, th- I think so too. I don't think there's much ROI in it for Microsoft given all everything that they have going on now. Oracle is still trying and, to... And build. Oracle needs Salesforce more than Microsoft they needs do. Salesforce. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's just one of those things we're, we're constantly keeping an eye on, always looking at to, to see what's going to happen. Um, I, we're, we're certainly not saying doom and gloom on Salesforce. Absolutely not. I mean, it's, it's still a good product. Um, it's just, you know, it, it's in this growth. It's, 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 it's this new model where, you know, they're focused on growth. And, and like they said, Amazon's doing the same thing. They're, they're focused on the future. And, and the question is, you know, they're getting treated like a startup, Salesforce. I mean, people think of Salesforce, it's like Salesforce has been, they're, what, a 20, no, 20-year-old, 17-year-old company, right? They're not a startup, but they're being, they're being, they're still being given this runway like right. they are a startup. And it's just, it is a little bit of a different model. The way that we're, again, he used the word capitalism. It kind of is the way that kind of, this is a, this is a sub-genre of capitalism where things don't co- 
quite work the same. Yeah. But once it, you know, once it comes, once it's made it through this system, at, when it comes out the end, the numbers have got to have got to all correlate. Right. And right now they don't. We're letting, you know, again, while you're in that system, it's they're kind of giving these companies a lot of leeway. Okay, do what you want. Um, we're kind of going to support you. And we can, we, it's so been, we've seen so clearly how it's just a small number of banks that make, get to make the decision on whether Salesforce gets, and I'm picking on Salesforce, but it's these other companies too, whether they get to, how far they get to stretch this. Right. Right. Um, but and then, and, and that, they're letting them. Yeah. But it, and it's not to say that those of us on the other end, on, you know, us developers or, or whoever that are consuming these technologies aren't getting something of value out of it despite the lack of profits. I mean, AWS has been extremely valuable. I think it's profitable. Well, let's talk about AWS. All right. They just released their, well, because when was it about a, maybe a year ago when Amazon actually started breaking out AWS? Before that, we had no idea how right. big it was. It, was, it. Was it losing a ton of money? What was the situation? But yeah, so for their third quarter, um, sales, this is just AWS, sales of $3.2 billion wow. for the quarter. So they're up, that's 55%. They're wow. still growing at fifty five percent, and they're they're at a fifteen billion dollar annualized run rate. So basically, AWS is basically a fifteen billion dollar company, right? I mean, we know about. It is absolutely my dream, and I'm dedicated to being the fastest to ten billion. And they're at basically at fifteen fifteen run rate. Salesforce is about what eight? They're at an eight. They're an eight run rate. Yeah. Um, and and it's. You know, Salesforce is selling intellectual property, right? They don't, I mean, relative to AWS, they have hardly any infrastructure whatsoever. AWS is selling commodity infrastructure. Well, aren't, aren't they using some of AWS's? Yeah, they, they, they I don't they even do. know what that's, I still don't understand what they're using that for or what they're going to use it's, that for. It's for new, it's, it's going to start out as in the new data centers, mainly, mainly ones that are, uh, you know, outside of the United States. Hmm. Will it eventually come around to okay? Let's go ahead and re-implement the existing data centers onto AWS. Possibly, I don't know. I mean, we'll see how it goes. If it yeah. goes well, then they probably will do that. But yeah, I mean, AWS is in in terms of actual physical infrastructure delivered is even though they're only you know five billion dollars more a year than Salesforce right now, they're probably tens of thousands of times more actual infrastructure involved, and it, that's a commodity business. And here's the, here's the important part. Operating income, excluding employee stock compensation, came in at $1.02 billion. So out of $3 billion in revenue, $1 billion in operating income. Okay, well, that's, that's good. I guess that's, I guess that's gross profit. Mm. Um, but that is up, that $1.02 billion, up 96% from the, two, from the earlier quarter. Um, if you factor in the compensation, profit was eight hundred twenty-one million compared to last year's four hundred twenty-eight million. So double doubling profit. I mean, they're basically almost a billion. They're printing after all said and done. I guess you know almost a billion dollars a quarter. Um, their their CFO Brian Oslavsky says. Uh, I think he was asked about price reduction because you know Amazon is or AWS is is famous for. This just ongoing, relentless price reductions. Mm -hmm. He says, price reductions are a core part of our philosophy. Not only do we cut prices on our existing services, but we create new products that are cheaper than the competition. And to that I say, 
That's the way technology is supposed to work. It's supposed to get cheaper. Yeah. All the time. So my question, John, this is an Ask John. <laughs> Why does Salesforce just get more expensive over time? I have no idea. It just, it, I, mean, I hear people ask that. It's, it's one of the common complaints. It's like, how does this always get, how is this getting more expensive? Well, is, I mean, isn't our, the, they're SaaS. Isn't the idea that this is going to get cheaper over time? No, I think. Well, I, it, it goes back to the, I mean, we, I'm stuttering my words because last week, last episode. Oh, shoot. there's a fail. There's a fail. <laughs> Sorry. That probably didn't break through the uh, noise gate. Probably not. Phone was ringing. Um, but we talked about this last last time last time last episode I think um, where we talked about the model itself. Actually, we talked about it a few times where we talked about the, the the subscription model in general. In that you know, as Salesforce adds new technologies, they they attach a value to that new technology, and they feel that you should be paying for that value. Uh, some features do get rolled in and they're free and you know, they're generally available, but there are other features they feel are, are uh, add-ons to it. And so, if you want to use that technology, you know, you're going to have to pay more. But I'm not sure that's what we're talking about here. We're talking about just the kind of the ongoing, you know, license renegotiation or the stuff. ongoing Salesforce towers and mindfulness, you know, and and all <laughs> you know, they're completely stocked, you know, refrigerators and beer bars and I want a beer bar, and, you know. But I mean, let, let's yeah. pop the stack a little bit because I, I think I think when we started talking about this, one of the points I was trying to make is that you know we we talk about this model, we talk about the bottle, we we talk about you know the focus on the future. And not on short-term gains, but on the potential long-term gains. Right. And and then also just kind of what that's led to. If if Amazon was so focused on profitability, 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 and those short-term gains, would we have AWS? Well, they they are profitable. They're very profitable. Actually, well, they are. But but Amazon's that, not. But Amazon's AWS not, is, and Amazon right. hasn't been. Right. And because Amazon was allowed to focus on the future and growth and experiment, we have AWS. Yeah. Well, that's true. But AWS was, it's its not to say that AWS couldn't have been created as a separate company. It's just Amazon, Amazon built, before it was even called AWS, it was built to suit Amazon's own needs. I mean, they they built that whole virtualization technology, mm-hmm. right? I mean, or at least their flavor of it. Right. To, to serve their own needs, their own ability to scale up and scale down and have these services available, you know, kind of a microservice architecture. Um. That just happened. To, they just happened to incubate that inside of Amazon. But that, I kind of reject your. I think your your kind of implication there that it was AW, It was Amazon.com parent company losing money that made it so that they could build AWS. And I don't think that was necessarily the case. You, you could have built AWS standalone or as another company. Well, no, I'm not making the point that them losing money created the need for AWS. I'm saying that the fact that they were able to lose money, still get investment, still find ways to operate without being focused on, without shareholders being focused on the return, the profit, that they were able to continue to, to go into these other areas of technologies or yeah. even release this. Yeah. All right. Wow. I, I, I feel like my brain just stopped. I was actually just <laughs> thinking, you know, this is a sober episode and I feel like it's very different than other episodes. Is it? No. Or is it just me? I think it's just you. We talk news, we talk shop. Yeah. Um, well, where are we at on time? I was going to mention MacBooks. I do want to talk about that because, I mean, it's already so stale. 
Um, yeah. And we're not going to say anything that hasn't already been said. I don't think so. But well, I don't know. I don't know what your position is on the MacBook. I, I, both of us did buy one, but I think I think we have different perspectives on it. I think. All right, so let's set the stage here. So a couple, few weeks ago, a couple weeks ago, Apple had their Mac event, mm-hmm. and pretty much the only thing they announced was MacBook Pros. Well, the TVOS. Yeah. Well, because I didn't even pay attention to that part because I don't have an <laughs> Apple TV. It's not even out yet. But I mean, that, and I think that was one of the one of the big criticisms was not necessarily, of course, there's plenty of criticism of the MacBook Pro, but there was still a lot of criticisms about what didn't get announced was nothing on Mac Mini, nothing on Mac Pro. Those are the big ones. Right. Um, anything on iMac, right? I don't know. Uh, I mean, we were hoping to get a display to go along with the new Mac yeah, Pro and all right. that kind of and stuff. And so there's just... There's all kinds of questions that, to me, are more interesting than than the actual criticisms of the MacBook Pro. Well, but and it, this is part of the lead up to it. But the, you know, Microsoft kind of did their hit piece with their uh, Surface desktop. What do they What do they call that? Uh, the Surface Pro, I think. No, 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 no. No, are you sure? Nope. Surface Pro is a different oh, thing. Sur- Surface Studio. That's right. Yes, yeah, the Surface Studio, which is you know basically if you know what an iMac is, it's it's their iMac. It is, but it's it's specifically geared for designers. It's not meant for you and I. Pretty much. I mean, it, it's meant for that designer creative market, um, and it's expensive. It's Apple expensive. How much it, is it? It's like, I think the low end is like three grand. The high end is like four grand. Okay. So, MacBook Pro, right there. Yeah. And, and e- either way, so so that that <laughs> put Microsoft in the spotlight in the fact that they innovated on something. You know, this they everyone sees this as a big innovation, and then my, and Apple comes along right after you know with their event, and not everyone is is keen on what they called innovation. Well, and I think the expectations for Apple are obviously just so much higher. They are. Um, and, and Apple has such a large, so much larger existing customer base of, for example, I mean, there have probably been a thousand times more MacBook Pros sold than have ever been sold of anything with a brand name Surface on it over time. Well, Surface is still relatively new. And I mean... Right, the, it is. And it just doesn't have near the penetration that you know MacBook, MacBooks do. But they, they are showing that they are attempting to, and I, I don't know, I'm going to argue that they are competing. They are, oh, I, they are I agree. making great strides. In I agree. My, my only point was just that the expectations are much higher for Apple, being the entrenched, mature, you know, big player. Yeah. So, so we're probably not going to say anything that, that anyone else hasn't said in terms of critique. So how about I ask you, why did you buy the MacBook Pro? Well, that's a good question, because... I have this existing MacBook Pro. Sorry. And it's the, this was the one, this was the mid-2012 MacBook Pro. This was, I bought this as soon as they released. This is the one that has, this was the first Retina. That's what yeah. it was, yeah. yeah. It was the second unibody. There was a family before this that was unibody, but it was right. not Retina. This was the first Retina. And I went out immediately and bought it. And I bought the Mac. You know, I had bought the max, maximum specification. 512 um, SSD, SSD 16, 16 gig RAM. And, um, you know, if, I don't know. I guess a couple of years ago, I'm like, well, well, I'm really, you know, sure, sure, surely soon Apple will release a 4K or a, a high DPI Retina Thunderbolt dis- or, you know, external display. Right. That's what I was hoping on. And then, and then but then you know, that we're waiting and that, and that doesn't happen. And then, but as that's not happening, you know, people are doing some analysis on, well, gosh, could these machines even power? Could it even 
get the data to a monitor fast enough, a, a monitor of that size that's external and high DPI. In which we learned it can. It turns out for these, yeah, you really can't because yeah. these have... These are Thunderbolt dis- 1. Thunderbolt 1 and yeah. DisplayPort, and you'd have to have... You could. Ha- what did we figure? If you had two, and I don't even... See, the thing is, I, don't, I just don't think the chipset or whatever it is in these could even do that. But there were some hacks where other machines with... If they ran two Thunderbolt um, or two eight display ports or two Thunderbolt lines, something like that, then it, it could power it. And yeah, I, don't, I think Thunderbolt one had bi-directional communication, but they were isolated. One was dedicated to <clears throat> to each was dedicated to a direction. A direction, yeah. And I think Thunderbolt two increased its capacity by two because it allowed that bi-directional communication to be used for either or, yeah. which increased the capacity. And I and Thunderbolt three, of course, trip uh, triples the original. It's forty gigabit gigabits, I think. No, it's um, 80 gigabits per second, I oh, believe. Oh, is it 80? I okay. believe so. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense if it can drive two. No, it's 40. It's 40, yeah. It's 40, but you can drive two monitors using two disp- two, US- two Thunderbolt ports. It's not off of one. It's, you know, so, you plug one into the other. So can you not run a Retina high DPI display off of a one Thunderbolt 3 nowadays? You can, but okay. they're, everyone's touting that it can run two. Oh. And, okay. and that's because you plug in you know, two two lines. You know, one monitor's mm. connecting to one port and the other one's connected to the other port. Oh, okay. They're not connected to the same port. Yeah, yeah. They're not daisy changing. Separate buses. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, that's, that's for me, that's, I, I feel like for a couple of years I've been waiting for a machine that I could power an external, a good external high DPI monitor with. That, that was, that has been for the past couple of years, like the thing that has made me, basically made me think, okay, if they come out with that, I, I'm ready to buy one. Mm-hmm. I mean, my history with laptops is they, Generally, haven't lasted me a long time. Although I can tell you, once I, after I switched to Mac, they last a lot long, a lot longer than any of the PC notebooks. I mean, still, I mean, and that's a thing. I mean, I guess we'll, I guess we'll get into the, the how expensive these MacBook Pros are, and they and they are expensive. I mean, there's yeah. just no doubt about it; they are expensive machines. Yes, but but I mean, you and I, I depreciated that over four years. Yeah, I mean, this machine is. I mean, okay. So again, a couple of years ago, I was ready to buy a new machine, um, but here I here I am. It's been two years since then. This machine is four years old now, and they released this new, <clears throat> whole new design of MacBook Pro, a new model. And I'm sitting here thinking, well, I've been waiting for this for two years now. Mm-hmm. Surely I'll pull the trigger. I mean, I've been waiting for this for two years. Yeah. But I look at this machine and think, it's in perfect condition. Yeah. I mean, it's just built unbelievably well. And it runs fast. I bought it with 16 gigs of RAM. And, you know... I do a lot of stuff that theoretically would chew up a lot of RAM. I mean, I've got IntelliJ open and Photoshop and a bunch of other stuff. I don't game. So, I, I mean, and I know... I have You're, you're never going to... Okay, Apple's never going to make um, gamers happy with MacBook Pros. It's just all there is to it. No. Even even the... the the um, Well, the game catalog is... Is it AMD? Who, who's got the, who, which graphic card is in the new MacBook Pro? Is it Pro? Radeon? I believe so. Yeah. And those aren't, I mean... If you want the latest gaming, it's not. That's not what that is. Right. Um, the other, the other big disadvantage to this original to mid two thousand twelve Retina MacBook Pro is that even when it was released, the graphics card wasn't quite enough to push that many pixels. And the animations, like all the little, what are these called? The the expose is that what they call those things? I mean, they're you see them judder. It's not a it's not a real smooth animation, and so I've been living with that, and I'm just used to it. You're probably yeah. used to it too. I'm used to it too. Yeah. The, and, the frame the the frame rate that 
the grades. Yeah. So, so the question is, you know, I've got this machine, and the, I mean, really, the only thing I can complain about. Uh, back to my, I didn't finish my RAM story. I, I have this. I have iStat menu. You have iStat menus. Yeah. And it always shows my RAM is like being twenty percent used, or I, I guess that's pressure, twenty percent pressure. And I don't even know what the hell that means necessarily. But I can tell you this. I mean, and I don't know if it's maybe it maybe it is thrashing the hard drive, but it's it's an SSD and it's fast. So I don't notice. Yeah. It ne- I feel like I never run out of RAM. I don't ever have the perception of running out of RAM. Well, my, my big deal, my thing about buying so much RAM was because I do run, um, well, for me, it's uh, VMware. Yeah, to run no, Windows. me too. Yeah. And, and yep. I dedicate a certain amount of memory to that operating system. So, you know, I, I'm able to run that comfortably and run both at the same time. Yes, yeah, so I don't know exactly how to read this, but I mean, so this thing has 16 gigs of RAM, and this is supposedly saying that 10.7 are used. But that's a tricky number, too, because... You can open up a bunch of stuff and it all gets loaded into RAM and then you're not really using it anymore. You close it. The The operating system, I mean, OS X is a very mature operating system and it's the way it handles memories, I think, is excellent. And it'll leave stuff in. It won't necessarily free that memory if it doesn't need it because it actually takes time and power mm-hmm. to free memory. So why not just let it sit there and be used until someone actually needs that memory? Right. That's where the memory pressure comes in. If your memory pressure is low, it doesn't matter. I mean, I've, I've, if I've got 12 of the 16 used, that doesn't mean that I need to have that 12 being used. Right. It's just not needed for anything else. So just leave it in memory. Right. My, my, the pressure on my memory is, is low. And it's always low. And, and if anything, that's the one thing, that's one of the things that gets me heartburn about the new MacBook Pros is they still only have 16 gigs of RAM. That's the max you can get. But how much more do you need? Well, that's a good, damn good question. And, and to me, it's a, it's a theoretical problem. Like, theoretically, I'm like, this, I should be able to get, I mean, this is 2016. I should be able to get 32 gigs in my laptop. There's a lot of machines that have 32 gigs in them. Now, do they, are they built as well as MacBook Pros? No. Do they run OS X? No. Is it going to last me four years? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, th- there are very few PCs that can hold a candle to a MacBook Pro. Um, but you know, if, if my new MacBook pro, which I think you said, we both ordered, they're mm-hmm. still there on order. We ordered the top of the line ones and maxed them out, you know, terabyte hard drive and up, up, up to the, I think I, did you up the memory graphics yeah. memory? I did too. I don't even know why. I'm just like, it's only a hundred bucks. I'm going to have this machine for four years. Yeah. I might as well, I might as well max it. So, but after the, if I use, if, if I can get four years out of that machine, that means that for eight years, I will have been operating on 16 gigs of RAM. That is insane. Well, I, I think I think the the shift in computing has been less about uh, capacity and more about uh, energy usage, power usage. So that's what they're saying is that the machines that are the laptops, Intel-based laptops, they're that are allowing 32 gigs of RAM. They they actually require there's an extra chip chipset that's required in order to hook that another that other 16 gig in mm-hmm. and it takes a non-trivial amount of power and we know how apple is you don't like it or hate it they are obsessed with power mm-hmm. and with size and weight and they will prioritize those above almost everything else yeah um to me the mitigating thing is uh, is, is that i feel like i don't know i feel like 16 gig i i feel like i'll be able to get through the next 4 years with 16 gig and it really won't be that big of a problem I agree. 
<clears throat> would I like it to be 32? Yes. Would I paid even more for 32? Yes. But it's not available. So that's 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 kind of the one thing that gives me a little bit of heartburn. But again, it's kind of theoretical heartburn. I don't know. I mean, the the whining class out there tells me I should I should be upset because it doesn't have 32 gigs. So I guess I'm upset about that. I I I was kind of a little not really upset, but I kind of wanted to to max out the memory because I that's what I did last time. It was it was it comes with eight and you can max it out to sixteen. I think the previous notebooks we had uh, started at two and you could max it four or six, four. I don't remember. It's in Paris. Are you sure so it wasn't four. eight? Maybe it was maxed out at eight. I think that's what it was. So either way, I, I felt like at that time eight just wasn't enough when I was trying to run you know Windows and Mac OS at the same time. Yeah. So I really wanted when I got the new one, I was like, I, I want to max out this memory. But like you said, I mean, I haven't had any issues with memory at all. It's, I haven't either. There, there's plenty to go around. And and you know, I don't know, maybe when you've got your VMs running and and if now, you if you had Visual Studio and IntelliJ and Photoshop open and it started thrashing, I mean the thing is maybe you don't notice it because the hard drive is so damn fast. And, and that's a good point because that that is a lot of the perform well, I, I said it when whenever I I took my previous MacBook because I, mean, I, mean, I extended the life of my previous MacBook, oh, the original did. one. I extended oh, that it was, way farther than I should. That was and, that was a Franken machine right but there. But I did that oh my by gosh. By the last few years, I I took out the the you know the the disc yeah. and I stuck an SSD right. and wow did that improve it performance does. Oh, it's so just much huge difference. Um, but but so my issue isn't memory, but my issue is storage. Five twelve just isn't enough. When I have all these VMs and everything that are they're taking up you know eight ten gigs themselves, that was an issue for me. I, so the fact that I can yeah. get a terabyte, I I would have loved a two terabyte, but I wasn't going to pay that much for it. It was like I, an extra four hundred six hundred. You know what works for me. And it's it actually works pretty well because uh, I have one of those external. It's an SSD drive, mm-hmm. but it's USB three. Yeah, and it's pretty damn fast. And I keep my VMs on that. I don't do very much with VMs anymore. Not certainly not big ones. I've got a couple small ones. But like my when I was still using Windows, mm-hmm. I would keep that on that um, on one of those. It's like did I, I gave you one of those, right? Yeah, yeah. Does that work? You even try it? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I just I keep it on one of those, and it's USB three and it's SSD, so it's it's pretty fast. It actually works. I mean, that would never work on one of those external spinning disk hard drives. Yeah. It's just too slow. Well, or, I, or even USB 2. Is too I used slow. to run that way too. And then I put it back on just because I hated having to plug it in. I, I'm not, I don't like wires. I, I, but so these, I, you know, I currently have a 512 <laughs> terabyte, right? And I've got, and I've got a ton of crap that I could get off here easily, but I've got 100 gig available still. Ugh. That's, that's not enough. You're a hoarder. <laughs> you need to clear some of that. Well, out. wait a minute. What? <laughs> How much? Well, why are you buying a? How much? What do you have free right now? Uh, I don't remember. Hold on. I don't think I have that much left. Yeah, I've got about two hundred gig. Okay, so why are you getting a one terabyte disk? Because I want to put more on it, and I just keep it clean. I uninstalled a bunch of stuff. You just want to. You just want to see that like fifty percent of your hard drive is free at all times. I, I do. I do. You probably get. It's, it's not. You just, probably get gas as soon as your thing gets down to half tank, don't you? I wish. No, that's one. That's one of the things I let go down. Way well, too we, far. we found something that John isn't good at. Well, <laughs> that he's not a perfect maintainer. I, I run. It's your gas. I run a, a disc cleaner like twice a day on my hard drive. I just I'm obsessive about <laughs> cleaning things. Unfortunately. Um. So so uh, the uh, toolbar. Let's talk about the toolbar. Are you get? Are you think you're gonna like the toolbar? Are you think you're gonna get some use out of it? Um. The touch, so the, the touch bar. Touch bar. Yeah. Uh, well, okay. I don't know. I don't, is, is the answer. But I can tell you that from what I've seen, that thing is impressive. Yeah, you because know, we knew that was coming. That was so leaked, right? 
yeah. what are the rumors and even even pretty good pictures of it. But to see that in action, and, and if you looked, if you saw the videos of the journalists that got to go and do a hands-on, because mm-hmm. no one has, there are no review units right. still, no. as far as I know. No. And so the only thing, the only, time, the only thing we've seen from third-party sources is the, is the journalists that got to spend, you know, five minutes right. at the event with it. And man, those it looked good. And of course, you know, I mean, Apple did it well. Like it's got the secure enclave built in. It's got Touch ID. It's mm-hmm. got, and it's really well integrated into the hardware. Um, apparently, the APIs for it are really extensive and well done. And it takes it takes a long time to get APIs right because yeah. you have to understand how third parties are going to want to develop for this thing. I mean, it's set up. It's like you can develop for that thing just like it's a, an Apple Watch or an, or a, you know any other program. Um. And it's it's a new type of input that we've never had before. It's it's a horizontal strip. Mm-hmm. We've we've never had this before. So it's hard to unless you have a great imagination. You're you know one of these people who can conceptualize things really well. I mean the ways that this is going to be used, and even the examples so far. Some I mean the G- DJ one was kind of I can't really relate to that. Yeah, but some of the other one, real I mean, DJ is going to use it for that. I, I mean I, I think you know <coughs> the the apples with their some of their apps and the Adobe's and the Microsofts of the world are going to do some really awesome stuff with this Touch Bar. So so here's my take on it, and I'll, actually I'll bundle two things, two crit- criticisms I've seen that I think are non-issues. One is that the trackpad because it got bigger is too big. However, I use an external trackpad, which is a lot bigger than the one that's on my notebook, and I think probably close to the size that it will be on the new MacBook Pro. Yeah. And my, it's, it's because of the gestures. It's the multi-gestures that I use it for, and it fits the size of my hand, which is why it has to be bigger, so I can get better gestures out of it. You don't have the Trump problem of small hands? I don't have the Trump problem. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but it, so, so it, By the way, this, it, is, it, this is one day post-United States election, uh, of which Donald, Donald Trump won. Which we will not, we will not say anything else about. But that's just <laughs> some context here. <laughs> I thought we were even going to say that no, much. But no. anyways, uh, so so I agree with it being a little bit bigger because uh, let's, it let's makes just, let's gestures. Just, let's just say congratulations, or I'm very sorry for you, <laughs> depending on who you who you wanted to win. <sighs> All right, so back to my gestures. I like it being bigger because it's going to make gestures much easier. Now, the reason I'm bundling that with the touch bar is because one of the issues I have with using the trackpad on my Mac and why I continue to use a separate magic mouse or even just a regular mouse with it is context menus, the right click. That is a pain in the ass to do on a trackpad. You, How so? Do you not have the double tap turned on? I do have the double tap turned on, but it's just... The two-finger tap is what I mean. Right. It, it's just weird. It's it's clunky. I've never liked it. This solves it because now it's just a click or hover over something and now the context menu is up there and always available. I think that makes it far more accessible and and... You know, removes that 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 kind of clunky interface of having a double tap. I think. Oh wow, I've 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 loved that double. It's not a double tap. It's a, it's a two finger tap since day one. Yeah. Oh, it just works great. Love it. I mean, I enabled it. I have the. I have it. I mean, yeah. I'm, I don't click. I tap. Well, it's, I thought that you also used a mouse more for when you need precision. Well, I do, I do, but but when I'm not doing that, when I'm just coding and everything, or or even anything else, I still prefer this, the right click action over. The double tap. I just, I just never liked it. Never got used to it. So for me, I th- I'm hoping as more things support it, that that'll solve that issue for me to be more functional for me in that aspect. Because okay. it is basically yeah. an always-on context menu. Right. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see how it gets used, and I think it's one of those things that it's so hard to imagine what that's like until you actually get to sit on. And this is the thing with 
But Apple has really, uh, I mean, they've, they've just got, there's some kind of magic about, like, you can think about the iPads. I can remember when the iPads were first announced. And I was like, well, I mean, it kind of it looks interesting, I guess. But it's not until you held one of those things in your hand and used it, that it just, it, something about the, that tactile part of it, it just, it, it, it opens pathways in your brain. It, it just, it's like, I, I kind of get this now. Yeah. And I can see, I mean, just the, and, and, and Apple also, I mean, I think that's one reason why, like, just their build quality. It just, you know, when you, when I've, I've heard, you know, I read several, several of these write ups on it that said that j- this just feels like an amazingly built machine. This thing is the best computer that's ever been made. I hope so for what we paid for it. Now, so, so here's my yeah. other question. If you had bought a MacBook Pro last year, is this one compelling enough for you to buy it this year? Meaning, would you trade up for it? I'm, boy, I'm glad I'm not in that position. I can tell you that. I can't say that I would. I mean, I, I like the new features, but I think if I'd bought one last year, I'd probably wait another few years. Um, I probably would too. As, as cool as the touch bar is, and, and as let's assume they, it's really well done in the APIs and everything, right? Um, I'm not sure. I'll have to wait and see how much I'll actually use that. I mean, I, I live in a text editor. I live in the terminal. I mean, for 90% of my day. Or an IDE. Well, I mean, they did I, say the terminal was covered in it. <laughs> did they? Yeah. I wonder if iTerm. Do you use iTerm? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah, I wonder if I, iTerm will add support for it. And and I'm. I mean, this is a, an intriguing idea for me, though. This this touch bar because I'm very anti. I'm very anti touch a touch screen for a computer. Touch screen display. I am too. I th- I think touch screen or at least the iPad Pro solves the need that the Surface. <laughs> studio is trying to solve I, I think those are two different markets you know the creative side the drawing side not not everyone's drawing on their computers and, and if you i mean i just don't think that people use touchscreen laptops like they do tablets well, we're, or phones. we're the old guys though we got to remember that i remember yeah. my my kids growing up and i was showing something on my computer and they're they've been using iphones and ipads and they try to touch my screen to get something to go right they're no, they're that's pressing true. the screen and they're right. what's going well, on it's not working that's mainly because they have no idea what a mouse is or they didn't at that point you know it's definitely more intuitive to direct direct manipulation than it is to use a mouse which is this thing over here that's controlling this thing on your screen. That's a whole other concept and like in a, uh, what's the word? Like a layer of thinking. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I don't, I, I just don't want, I don't want to be touching my screen. I, that's again, it, it kind of grosses me out. That's just, I don't need, a, I don't need yet another big piece of oily glass in my life. I've already got, I've already got one. Well, some people are saying it, it's not necessarily that Apple has a, a issue with touch screens is just that they'd have to revamp the OS quite a bit, and they're just not ready to do that yet. And I, you're right. And I'm not even sure that, and I, I haven't spent that much time with it, but I'm I'm extremely skeptical that Windows 10 and most of the apps that run on Windows 10 have 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 really good support for touch screen. Like they've they've re envisioned their apps for the for the new paradigm, right? To use that. Well, I can't tell you, I am considering, because I'm so far removed from that world, I would love to get a studio, but I'm not going to spend four, another four grand on a computer. But I might opt for one of the, the smaller surfaces just to get that experience, because I, I have been out of that world. Have you been I, to the Microsoft store and played with the surfaces? I haven't, and I've been meaning to okay. go in there. You should. I'd, I'll, it'd be interesting. In to fact, do. I'm going there right now to go okay. pick up a computer, so I might wander over you to should. the Microsoft store and check out the studio as well. Yeah. Um, and also, make sure you do a, sur- a Surface book. I think it's the newer one, is what they call it. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to get your feedback on those. I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what mine is. Oh, so I, you, I, you I did, did go. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. So we'll do that. But yeah. And people also, I mean, if you, and I've just, this is just basically by reading, but I, from what I've read is that people don't use touchscreens, like a touchscreen computer display, the way that they, the way they do tablets. I mean, most people are used that have like a Surface Book or one of these other ones. They're using it like you know, maybe a dozen times a day for like a quick little thing here or there. It's, it's not even, it's just, a, it's very minimal. You don't use it the way you use a touchscreen on a, on a phone or a tablet, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's just used for the, the one-off, like maybe there's a certain type of thing that's better to do on the screen. And I think that makes sense because, again, this is the big crit- criticism of these touchscreens is it's very unnatural to have your arm up here and extended up to your display. That's very unnatural. And that would be, um, it would be very tiring. It would. It's, it's not ergonomic. Exactly. <clears throat> However, the, the studio does kind of address that with the fact that it can kind of come down and lean at an angle. And so you're kind of more at a natural position, at least for drawing and, and writing. Yeah. Um, so they, they thought through on that, but I, I agree with that. I'm not sure I want to be reaching my hand out doing stuff with my computer. It's just not something I'm interested in. So, and, and that's just all to go back to the point that... Oh, I can say I've tried that. Because I, I used to have an arm that mounted my iPad onto my next to my monitor. And yeah. so I would be doing that. And I did get fatigued. Yeah. I did get fatigued when I was trying to, you know, find a song or, or just do something <clears throat> on my iPad where I'm just reaching up and holding it and I, I'm having to do it for an extended period of time to navigate or whatever. And I did I did get fatigued doing yeah. that. Um but no, that's just to say that the the touch bar is um I think a good compromise there. It's like it's adding another touch thing to your to your setup. Um and it's it's a thing that's it's a screen. It's just a very horizontal screen, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, everyone's calling it like a, a big iPhone strip. So for watch, strip. so for things where you would want to direct manipulate your screen, you've got one now. It's just this little strip on your keyboard. It's not your whole, and it's and it's also it's cl- now. It's, granted, it's not that much closer, but it is closer than having to raise your hand up another six to ten inches to go up and, and further away from you as well to get onto your screen. Did you know? Did you read that? Um, this was just buried in data. I didn't know this until I was reading, kind of prepping earlier. That the touch bar itself, the the screen on it, is pitched at like a forty degree angle, hmm. so that the optimal viewing distance is where the person's sitting. Not it doesn't not it doesn't right over yeah it doesn't it. shoot yeah. directly out. It gets pitched down at a forty degree angle. Oh well, that makes sense. It does. So it's now the big question for me is uh, how am I to keep that thing clean? Same way you do all your stuff with your obsessive look. <laughs> You've got all these micro claws and pads and different things. It's the same way you do everything else. It'll just be, it'll, it's just another, it's just like a little extension of your screen. So yeah, that's how you'll do it. But I think it'll be cool having Touch ID on there. It'll, it'll hook up to Apple Pay as well, which I, I don't know how compelling the Apple Pay thing is. It's, it's, it's kind of cool, I guess. But just <coughs> um, the fact that, you know, you turn your computer on, you, just, you touch your finger on it real quick and you're, you're logged in. That's, that's nice. Although, I, do we even have to do that? Because they also have the feature where if you have the watch and you walk up to it, it's... It unlocks. If you have the watch. And and I don't know, does that work on the original watch? I think so. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so, so if, yeah, if you had the watch, then that yeah. you would It's wouldn't. just that our notebooks are, I think it only supported like the last two years supported that. It also is used for user switching. So you may have been the one that unlocked the computer, but then your wife sits down and she touches it and it switches to her. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that was nice. I, yeah. I saw that. Yeah. But you mentioned the, the trackpad a minute ago, and that just reminded me that that's another thing where... You know, it's very hard to find a PC, and I, I don't think you can actually. That's got a trackpad that's that's remotely as good as the Apple trackpads. 
Yeah, I've, I've, I mean, these things are just so good. I've always, I've always disliked the trackpad. Oh, you no, know, what I really disliked was the eraser tip. Yeah. That thing wore my finger still away. I think they still have those. Really? those. I think so. I hated those. Yeah. And that's the thing when I sit down at a PC laptop, I'm just like, oh, wow, this trackpad sucks. And these are not cheap ones. You know, the higher-end Lenovo's and different things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like, oh, not good. Uh, well, we'll find out. Uh, hopefully, well, I don't think we'll get it before we record next week. It'll probably be end of next I, week know, or the week after. I don't know. Like after. I said, I might... I saw they charged my card, but... Yeah, but it's, it's got to ship from China or wherever it's built. Is that what it is? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I don't have them in the States yet. Um, so let's... Okay, so it's it's a four-pound machine. It's, you know, half an inch high, basically, so really thin. You know, let's talk about... So they, they don't have KB Lake. So this is the, this is the CPU, basically, generation, I guess. It's got oh. Skylake. Um, and, you know, people were criticizing for that. But the thing is, is that the, the KB Lake equivalent that's required that would be required for these like the quad core that's used in the 15 inch model isn't even going to be available for another couple of months and and the whole reason one of the reasons i think why these macbook pros have been delayed for so long is because intel dicked them around on skylake for so long mm. when skylake was delayed and then the thing people don't think about is you know when apple decides to, to standardize on a certain product from a vendor it's not like this is not like you just Plug in this new thing. Pop yeah, it's not, it, it, someone, out, someone else who sells one. maybe maybe a couple million machines a year. I mean, Apple sells so much volume that it takes you know it, it takes a massive commitment from any one of these vendors, and Intel just a lot of times just they, they can't do it, and so the, you know Apple's kind of at the mercy of of uh, of, of Intel on these. Yeah, but yeah, KB the KB like mm-hmm. system that's that would be needed for these isn't. You know, I won't be. And so, what should Apple wait another three or four months? At some point, you've got to just say, "Okay, we're going with, we're going with this chip." Yeah. Well, I mean, um, you and I are running the, on four-year-old computers that you know we're supposed to get by. The, the KB like <laughs> supposedly the KB like um, they'll update this in probably early 2017 with for KB Lake. But from what I read, I mean, that's not even going to be that big of a deal. I mean, the primary the primary benefit <clears throat> that KB Lake will add is going to be in built-in hardware. Encoding and decoding for H.265, which I guess is the next mm. um, beyond H.264, right? So the new, then the next standard for video encoding. Um, but what's interesting is the the GPU that they put in these new MacBook Pros has that built in. So it actually would be if with KB Lake, it'll just be redundant, right? So we, we already we already have that H.265 encoding built in. Hard for me to say. So yeah, so I mean, it, KB Lake will be basically zero reason for anyone to want to then go out and upgrade, and it's not much of a reason to wait for it. Um, it's, this machine has three integrated mic microphones. I thought that was interesting, probably just for noise cancellation and. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a new piece. Uh, how do you feel about just having USB C slash Thunderbolt ports? Yeah, so f- losing the MagSafe. So I mean, this is—it's one of those double-edged sword things. I mean, this—I know this is one of those things that people are hyperventilating about. Um, I'm all about less cable. I love the MagSafe. I—I I, I mean, it's—it's it's probably the best thing ever. But I also like only have—I'd rather have no cables. But if I'm gonna have a cable, I'd rather just have one cable. I'm just—that's just the way. Yeah, I, I mean, Apple's never been shy about m- moving forward and and really pushing. New, you know, the newer, the new technology. I mean, they they yeah. were they were the first to remove floppy disks. I don't know why people are acting surprised. I mean, it's not like they haven't done it before. I mean, there was a big uproar when they got rid of the the CD drive. Um, 
a, a the floppy up. drive. The floppy drive, yeah. the CD drive. I mean, every time they decide, we're just going to remove it. And people always people hyperventilated at every step of the process. Right. How can you possibly remove my three and a half inch floppy disk? Yeah. Right. You know, conniption fits. We're going back to PCs. Okay, fine. Go back to PCs with your floppy disk. I I still want a headphone jack. <laughs> it has a headphone jack. I know, I know. I'm just saying. Like, I mean, if they got rid of that, it, that might be an issue. I guess. I think. I do USB-C. think it's weird that there was no lightning port on it because the headset that comes with the iPhone now is a lightning headset, and you can't plug that into your brand new MacBook Pro hmm. without the stupid dongle. Oh, that's right. So that's. A, I, mean, I think that's a valid criticism. Like, and, and, and unless I, they really want to get rid of lightning, maybe they're going to start doing USB C on those. And I fully support moving hmm. forward, like this. Thunderbolt 3 USB-C thing, I think it's great. It's really, I mean, any you given one of those ports can is, is so capable and so fast. It really is, it's mind-boggling. And to have four of those on one machine, I mean, it's, that's outstanding, right? And I'm fully supportive of that. And yes, I'm going to have to buy some adapters and maybe or one of those little hubs or something. But that's I'll just probably get a hub. That's just part. I mean, anytime you're gonna you're moving technology forward, you're always gonna have that problem. Of you've got existing things, and but at least there are solutions to that. We yes, you're gonna have to spend some money on some. And Apple even dropped their prices if you want to buy the Apple brand ones. But oh, I mean, speaking of that, you have to be careful. The uh, the this particular I guess version or chipset of Thunderbolt three is a later version than what's been available on some of the the Windows machines. So you got to be careful on what you buy and make sure it is specifically supporting this version of USB 3. Yeah. Um, I can give you the, the version numbers if you want. Well, but. and the thing is, you know, since Thunderbolt 3 and USB are now sharing the same physical connector, mm-hmm. when, when you buy a cable, you may be buying a USB-C cable, not necessarily one that will handle Thunderbolt. So you have to make sure you're actually buying, if, it, if you're going to be plugging a Thunderbolt peripheral or device, right. that it's a Thunderbolt cable. They're, 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 Thunderbolt requires a heftier cable than USB-C does. Right. Or USB-3, I guess, with a USB-C connector. It is confusing. That's one downside. But that's not Apple's fault. <laughs> They're using standard. I mean, most people... I mean, would you rather than use some proprietary thing? No, I'd rather go... go exactly. So they're using the standards. Let's just, get rid of Lightning. It is we confusing. Got, let's, let's get rid of the Thunderbolt exclusive port. or the display. It's I, actually a display port, right? Is what, they're, what it is. Thunderbolt? Yeah. No, it's a USB-C. That's no, the, no. They, the previous... In, Incarnation was well. They, they share the same connector, yeah, but they're different. That's what I mean. But now, now, now we're sharing USB C, and I, right. I, I want Lightning or the Lightning cables to go away, and let's go. I mean, I'm, I think you know, within a, a year or two, you know, I might be, hopefully, I would, you know, it, we're in a situation where I'm using all everything I'm using. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not using any more dongles. Basically, like I'm not like for example, my Lightning cable for my phone. Well, that's still USB, mm-hmm. old school USB. I'm going to replace these eventually. So I'd like to be at a point in a couple of years, maybe, where everything I have, it plugs in with a USB-C connector. Yeah. Now, the exception to that is you're always going to have to have dongles for if you want an Ethernet port, right? You have to have, or if you're like, I, this is FireWire, right? I'm going to have to get a USB-C to FireWire. Yeah. You know, you always have those. That, this is not Apple's fault. My criticism here, if I'm going to criticize Apple in relation to these ports, is that every single other product, a computer in their lineup, did not get updated and, is still, and still has regular USB ports on it. Yeah. So, okay, I'm, I'm on board. If we're going to move forward, yeah, we're all going to have to, you know, it's, there's always a cost of moving forward. <coughs> but let me move forward. What about the Mac only coming with one? Well, you, uh, your wife has, has that, right? The MacBook One? Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, one port, one USB-C port. 
that, for ninety nine point nine percent of the time, it's perfect. Um, when she goes to a client, she has to present. Yes, of course I have to have. I mean, you can't not have. Oh no, yeah, you, well, unless, unless you never you're, know what you're going to walk. Unless into. your computer has a VGA port on. And by the way, some a lot of PCs still ship with ugly Fitbit. VGA ports. Yeah, can you believe that? Yeah, those things are hideous. <laughs> It's the Windows PC world, man. They I will, don't, they don't, I they won't let go of anything. I happily about PC carry. Hoarding, I happily PC hardware hoarding. I happily carry a Thunderbolt to VGA dongle in my bag. Yeah, I have one. And for the one out of every two years I use it, that's fine. I'm. I do not want any of those ugly ports on my computer. What else, John? Um, I mean, I'm looking forward to that giant, awesome trackpad. Um, I don't remember the specs, but those SSDs. I mean, people are saying how that's like the newest. Speed and they're just fast as hell. Well, even though we're not getting more capacity, I think the memory as well is is faster as well, isn't it? Yes. Well, well, it's not the to, fastest to available. Yes, yes. Yeah. And that's the thing people are saying. Well, why would I? Uh, one of the criticisms was, I've got one of these old MacBook Pros, and this this new one's not even that much faster. Well, really? I mean, because I compared the graphics card that's in, in my to the to the new one. I compared the CPU speeds. I compared the memory speeds. I compared the SSD speeds, yeah. and it's. It's a lot faster. I mean, the 3D graphics was 130% faster. Um, and and I, there were some, some benchmarks they did. The game, the one, I don't remember the name, but one of the gaming benchmarks, 60% faster. Final Cut Pro, uh, 70, or uh, sorry, 57% faster. I mean, if you, if, you have, if you already have a really fast machine, then oh, yeah, maybe you shouldn't upgrade. Yeah. But this is, it's got the latest stuff in it. So it's got the, it's got the latest CPU that you can currently get in, in volume quantities. So I'm not. I don't understand those complaints, really. Well, I'm I'm hoping that I when it gets here, I like it. I fell no, the, in love with it. And the display has it's got the wide color gamut. It's it's much brighter and had more contrast I'm than the ones trying we have. To wrap my head around what's so different about that, but I mean, because all we have is the is the darn um, uh, obligatory video with uh oh shoot what's his name Schiller so, no Steve uh, Tim Cook no the other guy. Not Phil Schiller? No. Oh, um, Hare, Mr. Hare. No, not Mr. Hare. I don't know who you're talking about then. The designer guy, the ball guy. The oh, Johnny Ive. Ive, there you go. Who am I thinking of? What's the what's the like, the computer guy who, with the hair, the great hair? Uh, Apple executive, great hair. You think that'll? You think I'll get a hit on that? <laughs> um, great, right at the top. <laughs> Meet Craig Federighi. There yeah, you go, Federighi. Federighi. <laughs> <laughs> You really got it just by yes. Apple guy, great hair. Apple executive, great hair. I'm just going to do Apple guy, great hair. Let's see if that. <laughs> this is really exciting. Nope, I, I got uh, men's hair, but he is in the images. Okay. So. You know, I mean, the, the priorities for this thing were definitely, you know, compact footprint, battery life. I mean, that's, you know, they're, and I, I see people saying that, you know, um, you know, all they need, uh, this is a quote I found, all they need to do would be include a few more fans, vents, and heat pipes, and they could have had, you know, a, a great desktop class GTX 1060, which is, I guess, is some video card. I mean, Apple's not going to do any of those things. No. Well, and, and on top of it, I mean, the whole thing is a heat sink. It's, it's all aluminum. Right. The fans are just there for air movement. The whole, your whole thing is a heat sink. Um, but the objections, uh, yeah, why would, why would I buy this? My 2013 model's great and fast. Okay, well, don't buy it. And then one, the other one is, uh, you know, Apple no longer knows what pros need. They, this is no longer a computer for pros. Well, to me, it's like, well, what kind of, depends on what kind of pro you are. I mean, if you are a 
if you're doing three, if you're a 3D animator, this you know this graphics card is not going to be enough. I mean, you can no. get much faster graphics cards. Yeah. But if you're a pro, like the kind of pro I am, I mean, it's. But you're you're not upset about missing your function keys, or you, you think you're going to have issues? I don't with, know with the tactile. Feel that of is it? that is actually a concern I have. Yes, I'm concerned about that because I'm you know the, the, the keys I, are also different too. I use those keys all the time, so. We'll have to see. And I that's, mean, the, the touch sensitivity of the keys, the, the, the feel of them are supposed to be different. Yeah. It's using that new butterfly. Oh, well, yeah, yeah. It should be using the same thing that the MacBook is it's using. An, it's a revision. It's a, it's a, it's a new, next step of okay. that. So, so it'll, it, it'll be probably different from that. Yeah. How do you feel about that, though? Have you touched, have you touched it? Yeah, I've touched it. <laughs> touch it. <laughs> um, it would, I've, I've only just really, you know, momentarily used that uh, Sarah's MacBook. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely different. And and she at first she was like oh this is wow this is because the travel is just it's so minor mm-hmm. but she's you know within a couple of days she's like oh it's fine I actually like it and I really like it now it's one of those you get used to um yeah the dongles not enough RAM not for pros I mean again I mean depending on what your needs are I think there's valid objections I mean I guess one of my objections or one of my complaints would be I mean why is it have, I mean I you know and I sit here explaining why because of the build quality and how long these things last. And and the, you just, you can't get a touchpad from anyone else this good. You basically, I mean, the display, the the build, everything about it. I mean, I don't think you can get another computer like this from a different vendor right now. No one's making something this good. Oh, well, I don't know. Is, I th- is I that worth? Razer's got some pretty good computers, and they've they've kind of followed suit with the the Apple style with the MacBooks. I mean, they basically are MacBook clones, and they're they're clones. And they've got some pretty nice stuff. They have a actually their trackpad is a full screen. I think it, it's not. It, that's fine. You can make something big. That doesn't mean it's good. I, I, and I, I don't know. I can't comment on Razer. Razer? Razer. Razer. Um, but I'm right off the bat highly skeptical. Okay. Well, I mean, if, if I was going back to Windows, I'd probably get a Razer. Yeah. Spec-wise and... and, and well, they're probably finish. not cheap. No, they're not. They're, okay. they're comparable to yeah. the pricing of MacBooks. But you know, this, this MacBook Pro, I believe I paid $2,500 for. And the new one I paid... Now, I, did, I think I did a little bit more upgrading to it. But I paid what? What before without Apple Care? Thirty two hundred, three thousand. So yeah, they, they got right. they got more expensive. This goes back to our conversation earlier. Like this stuff's supposed to get cheaper. Well, it, and it's that trackpad that I mean the Touch Bar that's making it more expensive. I saw that that was only a couple hundred bucks mm-hmm. of the build. So I, I don't know. Well, I mean, build and value and margin. Well, no, like they like they, they took the the one that the the low end one that has the the touchpad and then compared it to the that same similar one that doesn't have the. And it's like a three hundred dollar difference. I thought it was like a four hundred dollar difference, but I saw three hundred, and it also it had less of a it had a lesser CPU as well. The one without a, a couple bumps down, a couple of, you know. Oh, it was it, yeah. And uh, and it still, I mean, including that, it was three hundred dollars less. So I I don't know. But the bottom line, I, I I did some math. Like if I take you know this is a thirty you know thirty two thirty five hundred dollar computer. I can't remember which was with tax or which without. But okay, this thing's gonna last me four years, or I hope it will, just like this one did. Well, how much? How much is that? Let's see. Let's, let's say thirty-five hundred divided by forty-eight months. So that's seventy-two dollars a month. Okay, so that's le- that's less than I pay for my cell phone bill. Um, that's about what I would pay in taking a buddy out to lunch. Um, that is can about. I, can I take you up on that? That is about. That is. Um, more than ten times less than what I spend for rent on on this office. Well, I mean, it's also 
We're and, I, and I get, that I get these a, are our tools. These I get, are what we do. I get many, many times more value out of this computer than I do out of this office. I mean, this office is replaceable, or I could just work from home, or whatever. I mean, so when you put it in context, I mean, yeah, I mean, if that's if that's amortized, if that's what I'm paying for this, then I that's why I just upgraded the whole thing. I just I want the best I can get. Well, this is something I'm using at minimum eight to ten hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah. You know, 365 days a year. I should be able to enjoy what I'm doing or what I'm using. It should be something that I enjoy using, that I that I get a good experience from, that doesn't let me down. I mean, it's I'm a professional, and this I need professional tools. Yeah. Well, yeah, you, and especially when you're talking about, I mean, if you wanted to cheap out and get a computer, you could probably get a computer that was easily a thousand dollars cheaper. Um, or you could just get one a new one every year, and then and, and that's that, that newness, and, and that's basically that cool. basically amortize, amortizes out to being a, a buck or two cheaper a day. Is mm-hmm. is that worth it? To have to deal with a a, a gross kind of plasticky, creaky PC. Well, like I said, which, I mean, if which you, most of them are. And if you treat if you treat them nice, they can stay nice for a while. But they don't start out nice. Is the problem? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> the 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 aluminum helps. the 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 build and the aluminum closure helps a lot with that because it doesn't warp. You know, it it doesn't tend to to rub off any kind of finish or anything right. like like you know eventually you'll either rub off finish and you'll get a shiny part on that plastic and it just looks horrible or you can never get it clean or it's just you know for someone like me I, I like the aluminum yeah I mean I think the bottom line is there's, there's just no one that's putting as much it has as much design and engineering capability and puts as much resources into it as gets put into Apple computers True, but I mean, just like with anything, it's got its fanboys who will buy yeah. anything and everything Apple. Well, I'm I, sure people that's that think that's the way I am. There, are, there are Windows guys who say they will never touch a Mac and it's too overpriced, and we're idiots for buying them. I mean, before I bought this one, I went out and looked at the top of the line. I think I looked at Lenovo, um, HP, Dell's, and uh, HP has a nice one. I, I haven't really looked at the specs, but I can, look at it looks this, you see cool. the, the Scepter, HP Scepter. Maybe that's maybe. probably the one you're thinking of. Yeah. It's it's just. Is it? Is it not? Now, to me, without even knowing the actual build quality, looking at it, it just looks gaudy as hell. Very, just kind of gross, too shiny and whatever. I don't know. It was really thin. I kind of yeah. liked the way it looked. Yeah, it just it just it, it is the lines. Kind of like jewelry. Uh, it was. Yeah, it was like gold, shiny gold or something. Yeah. I don't know. I just. But I mean, and again, when you dig into this, you find that it's just not built as well. Mm. I mean, when again, I mean, you get what you pay for, and, and maybe these are maybe these are a ripoff. I mean, hell, I mean, Apple may be making you know two thousand dollars in profit per computer. Wouldn't surprise me. Luckily, I'm an Apple shareholder. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, I don't know, man. It's just like I said. I mean, I'm with you, you. Made the point. Like, how many hours are you with this thing a day? I mean, if I said, hey, I'll give you a buck less. I'll give you a buck a day. If if you'll work on this crappier laptop all day long. It's totally not even worth it. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And it reminds me of um, David, uh, what's the David, DHH, David Hansen, whatever his name is, um, that was the guy that created Ruby on Rails. Um, he said, this is actually, I think, man, this goes, goes back to a good 10 years ago. You know, he would only work on a MacBook. And that's when they were much crappier than they are now. <clears throat> but he said, uh, he, does, he just didn't understand why, why companies, and he's, I think he's talking about companies that wouldn't, that wouldn't spring for a, a MacBook Pro for developers oh, yeah. or whatever. It's like, I don't under, it doesn't make no sense to me at all why you wouldn't give people the best tools they can get. Especially when it's in the grand scheme of things, the cost of the computer is it's so small compared to the cost of just the office space you put them in and the person's salary and their health insurance and everything. It's such a small piece. Like, 
just get the best one. And whether that's a PC for you or whether it's a MacBook Pro, whatever it is, I mean, get the get the best one that you can get that fits your requirements. Yeah, I worked at one company where it was an option, but they only, basically only approved it for people who were building applications that needed to be tested it was, on Mac. It was theoretically available to you. <laughs> it was theoretically available, but you either had to be some higher up who could pull some strings, or you had to prove that you needed it for testing. I bet I've pissed off a lot of people with my fanboyness. You were you you were very very fanboy on on the Apple. I just you know I've. I've made the mistake of of buying other computers in the past, and they just—I mean, nothing. From in my experience, nothing in, can hold a candle to these. And maybe you know, I don't know. Well, from I was happy with with my. Go get a razor and let's let's compare. Let's see how you know. I, I might. I, well, I, no, actually, what I kind of what I'm leaning towards is I really kind of want to build a machine for gaming. Yeah. Just because I have that itch. I've been watching a lot of videos. I've been looking at... Uh-oh. John's been watching videos. I've been watching videos. videos. I've been looking at liquid cooling and, you know, putting four video cards into a machine. Yeah. And I'm just like, I'm just itching because I haven't built a machine in forever. And I used to love doing it. Well, you could well, build a killer gaming to, machine for half the price of your MacBook sell Pro. Them. You used to build and sell them, didn't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> How long has it been since you've done that? Uh, <laughs> well, I was like 18, 19. So. Oh, wow. Got, you got to awaken your inner nerd, start building some machines. You know, I think I got, because I did that, I had a business that did that, I think I got that all out of my system. <laughs> I mean, I've built, I've built hundreds of computers, and I just have no desire. Yeah. <clears throat> well, one thing I like about YouTube, it's, it's kind of honest footage. These guys building these, they, they'll, they'll do something, they'll run into an issue, they'll put the wrong thing in, they'll put the wrong, it won't, it won't boot. Right. And it I, smokes. I, I remember those days where I'm like, oh crap. Or, I mean, do you remember setting? I mean, I can remember when when you put the CPU in, and then yeah. you, you have to set. I mean, fifty different jumpers to get it right, and then oh, you want a modem? Well, that's you know, which IRQ is it? Your is it is your you know? Oh, IRQ seven is that available? I don't know. You have to put it and see if the thing won't boot up. Then you know you've you know you've stomped on someone else's IRQ. Yeah, those are the good old days. The, man. the CPU was always the the no plug and play back then. Of, there was no plug and play install. <laughs> And, well, yeah. the, the CPU and then the heatsink. Well, because the CPU, if you got the, I mean, those motherboards, these generic PC motherboards, they would support AMD CPU, Cyrix, AMD, all these different like third-party, you know, mm-hmm. Intel clone CPUs, basically. But they all had different, slightly different power requirements, and so you know, there, there's, there'd be this array of jumpers, and if you didn't set it right, you could you could instantly, as soon as you turn it on, fry the CPU. Yeah. Which I did one. <laughs> did you? Yeah. <laughs> and to that I say good day sir <laughs> you get nothing you lose good day sir